tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. Our free phone number won't cost you anything to make that call. And Ali is looking after the programme today. And we wish you a spooktacular Halloween. Today on this Halloween bank holiday, that spooky music for those movie buffs uh, out there among you uh, from the movie Halloween, of course. We'll be speaking to our own Andrew Luby a little later on in the show who will uh, go through some of the scariest of the Halloween movies. So we'll be talking about that in the second hour of uh, the programme. More scary stuff coming up in the programme this morning because I'll be speaking to Johnny Luby in just a little while. Also, Father Iggy O'Donovan will talk to us on the Halloween tradition. We speak to a Cork-based witch ahead of the celebrations and our Friday panel will unpack the hot topics of of the week. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Johnny Luby is with me. Good morning to you, Johnny. Fine. How's it going, bye? I'm very well indeed, Johnny. Uh, you're not going to scare us on this uh, Halloween or anything, are you? No, friend, although I was in the bridge house last night in Golden there for a few minutes and uh, they're certainly getting into the swing of things there with uh, spooky things hanging up around the place and everything else. So I think they have uh, men dressed up as women and... <laughs> oh, that's not the usual now. Sean is very much into the swing of things in there, so there'll be a big crowd in the bridge house tomorrow night. I think it's in aid of the tidy villages or ah, something very like that. Good. So, very good. Will you be yeah, there yourself? Yeah, I was, yeah, just, I was, I was, I'd be afraid to dress up in case uh, somebody, <laughs> in case somebody had fallen for me, friend. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, yeah, it is, uh, look, it's a great time for the kids and the whole lot, you know, yeah, they're really into it, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely, out. yeah. Do you remember Halloween celebrations when you were a young lad, Johnny? Were, were they anything no. like today? No. Uh, no, but we used to do simple things, you know, the snap apple and oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, putting a coin into the water and you're trying to uh, uh, soak it up and uh, that's how you're getting a belt on the nose uh, from this apple swinging around, you know, and your hands behind your back. But uh, they were all the simple things. But now, of course, they're into, different, uh, uh, they're into a, a different kind of a, a crack and all of that. But anyway, it is what it uh, is indeed. Yeah. Best of tip awards, you were there in great style the other night, complete with a red t- Tie. That's right, yeah, friend. They were like likening me to uh, Donald Trump with the red tie <laughs> and the white shirt. <laughs> and uh, but we had a great night there. You know, it was a, uh, a wonderful start to uh, hopefully this uh, 
to continue because there was a great buzz around the place and many of the businesses there, I suppose all of them, they were represented on the night and uh, they enjoyed the crack and they cheered on their, uh, whoever they were after voting for and things like that. I had the honour of doing the uh, the pubs in Tipperary. Now I probably have to do about 160 pubs but find the amazing thing about it is I actually never voted because I found it very hard to distinguish oh, from yeah. 1 to 160 uh, and that, but the Arch Bear was a most appropriate winner, you know. The, we, I think we did a Tip FM program there one morning at uh, nine o'clock. Yeah. And look, if I could say confidentially, I got a terrible quick point about half past nine in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and with the clock in the background, uh, the governor, <laughs> the, the past, came past out days, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, uh, they said. But I, I, uh, I'd always say, look, I, I, I didn't, I didn't drink the pint, you know, just that I had it. In Absolutely, front of it, it, was, it was just there for decoration, Jim. But, uh, That's all the it food. The food in the other night was absolutely beautiful, yeah. superb. You know, uh, uh, everybody said that what a wonderful night it was. And for many people, it was probably the first time in Indiana, and they couldn't get over trying. It's a magnificent setup there that yes. they have in Tullus, and that. And I mean, the uh, parking uh, was top class, but they actually ran out of parking space, and yeah, there were so was many such a people crowd. there. Yeah, you know, it was uh, yeah. fantastic. I met a few uh, the first cousins there. They're from Boris, uh, Boris Eilie, mm-hmm. but uh, there's one or two of them living in. Uh, uh, Kilowan McDonough's and of course uh, 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 with their colours and the black and white and that they'll be shouting on Kilowan McDonough's in the county final replay on Sunday and I think Fran, uh, I mean last weekend when we said that the county final should should be on at half past four mm. I will say when it was on at half four we were saying it should be on at three o'clock and lo and behold it's on at three o'clock uh-huh. now uh-huh. Uh, by the power of the four penny road. You can't <laughs> beat it. You can't beat it. Yeah. Should that have been done and dusted though last weekend? I should, yeah, yeah. Fran, in my book because yeah. it gives a... I mean, like, you have teams out now for the next... Uh, um, this weekend again and the winners are out the following weekend against the top class team from Waterford Belly Gunner. Mm. Should have been over and done with last weekend and in my book for what it's worth uh, and, and kicked on. I, I don't know what the standard of holding... Uh, I'm, Personally, I'd like to have seen it of a higher standard, but uh, it was tremendously exciting. And uh, I wasn't able to go, but about 45 or 50 miles away, I got the commentary of uh, on Tip FM. And it was a fantastic uh, day or two uh, uh, hear the commentary, you know. And look, well done to Ross Gray on there uh, achieving oh, the scene of standards again. It was brilliant, brilliant. for them. Commiserations to Got the whole Glen Gold. They're a wonderful club up there. Uh, but their time will come. I mean, like they were coached to the last and that. And the holding was of a fairly good standard in the Premier Intermediate uh, and that but uh, I suppose this weekend you have the, the big Cena final on again and prior to that then you have Laura Dora against uh, Money Goal I suppose an all known forum Laura Dora should win by about 10 points but because I saw uh, uh, Money Goal and uh, and Skeena Rinky last Saturday in Borlehan right. uh, and that uh, and Frank was quite a good game uh, uh, but uh, uh, Moneygall I suppose if they had distributed their passes better they possibly w- would have won by an extra few points but fair play to Skeena Rinky they stuck it out to the very last and they were leading for maybe 50 odd minutes of the game uh, and that young John Lillis was the referee and done I thought done a superb job but uh, I must say one thing Fran about Borlehan Dweller and their beautiful pitch there in Borlehan as you go through the facility 
community is friendly in all GA clubs uh, they have improved a ton from the you know and yeah. look walking around Borla and you see the hurling wall and you see the dressing rooms and you see the second pitch and you, the railings all around it's a superb place superb venue to hold the game and fair play to them you know with the bingo and that on a Monday night like it's it, it, yeah, it's a wonderful there was no dressing rooms in your day Johnny no no there wasn't <laughs> you just talked out but uh, I suppose yeah. friend the camogie then uh, I got to visit the camogie then after all of that between uh, Drum and Inch and fair play to the girls from Drum and Inch they had a fantastic victory I think it's either three in a row or four in a row and uh, Canolty Ross Moore again of the bridesmaids but they played superb and there was a huge crowd there in uh, in their uh, in the camogie grounds in, in the rag uh, and look fair play to them all for serving up a wonderful hours uh, uh, hurling or camogie and Fran we are Jordan then to skiing's in Bohorn and Crusher oh, great it's, pub it's, the, the which way in is yeah, the which way in yeah, yeah cause, uh, was Lucy there Was Lu- did Lucy uh, look after you yeah the, the, hey I'll tell you they, they actually thought for a minute that I was you and they gave me a free pint <laughs> so I need to say Fran I took it and that was it but uh, we came back then yeah. to your man in 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 uh, Oh, in Canalty Village there, uh, what's to call him at all at all, doing the, the chipper van. I had two of the grandchildren with me, and of course, uh, they were delighted to get an asset all the chips and sausages and everything else. So, yeah. But it's all part of the crack. But I suppose, friend, uh, the uh, the uh, big golden last night, friend. What? I must give it a mention. They had a huge crowd there. My, my missus went for the first time in a couple of years, and uh, my sister Betty from Cairn, my sister Mary back from Australia, of course. Betty won 130 euro. Go on. Yeah, so she was oh. absolutely thrilled. Uh, Danny Hennessy's wife, Jodie, won 170 euro. So you could say that Townsland of a test levy took 300 last night. Nelly was there in all our glory. Was she? Friend. What a woman after getting the uh, knee done and the whole lot. And she told me confidentially again that to give Billy a mention the way he lifts her leg every morning, every morning <laughs> doing the exercise I said to Nelly I said once he doesn't lift his own leg I said you're lucky but I mentioned in Golden Fran they have bingo then on the bank holiday Monday they were right. have the drive-in bingo but due to the worst weather bingo goes ahead in the hall in Golden at 3 o'clock and they're looking forward to a fantastic crowd again and of course Fran in Cashel uh, the Halloween craft uh, food market in the Holland of Felix Island Sunday from 10.30 to 4 o'clock on Sunday, this Sunday, the 30th of October. The small businesses are hugely involved and they have all kinds of uh, stalls, games, entertainment for kids and the whole lot. So the Holland of Halloween craft is certainly the place to go. Uh, from the uh, schools, the Hearty Cup, uh, I suppose commiserations to... Uh, Casual yeah. community school were beaten by three pints by our school reach. And the first thing I looked at, uh, and no, I wasn't there, so I, I can't understand why uh, Casual Community School played beyond in the Limerick venue in Capamore. And uh, nothing at all wrong with the venue, but just that you're going into the lines and taking on our school yeah. reach. And lo and behold, the Limerick referee as well, Johnny Murphy from Bellylanders. We don't seem to have any great luck with Johnny in Seals or whatever the case may be. And seemingly he'd done a good job, but that's neither here nor there. I be going to court for a referee or Clare. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that, that's the way I think it should be done. But anyway, it, it wasn't done that way. But Cash will still have a huge chance of going of through. Course. Robert has uh, that chipper, by the way. Oh, oh yeah. Christ yeah. above, friend. Uh, that's it. Friend, I was in, what's to call it, the other night. They're expecting you to call there as well. Where's that? In the, the new place, Lowry's in Tipperary Town. It's still under the name of Lowry's. Tony and Maeve have retired. And uh, Lee Hogan and Patrick Ruddy and Steph at Lowry's Bear Tipperary. Uh, they look forward 
forward to seeing you in there someday and uh, you're to oh, uh, make, your, make yourself known when you get in there. I will. I will, uh, of course. Yeah, looking and, uh, forward to it. I suppose, Fred, uh, one must uh, extend sincere sympathies to the uh, Welsh family in coal mine, first of all, uh, and the death of John Welsh. He'd be uh, Father Joe that does the Tipperary Sunday morning programme there with Father Coffee from Golden. Mm. He'd be his dead, uh, wonderful oh, man uh, in that. his 90s. Yeah. Uh, and I just lived there at the Bad Bend in coal mine. I'd have known John for 50-odd years. He was a tremendous lorry driver, bulk milk driver with Evan Moore Creamers when they started off going round to all the farms collecting the uh, bulk milk mm. back maybe 45 or 50 years ago and John was a lovely man and uh, in every sense of the word and was a most obliging guy to uh, if you asked him at 8 o'clock in the evening if there any chance you'd go out and collect milk off such a farmer because the electricity is gone they need it collected immediately there was no better man than John Welsh of coal mine so the Lord have mercy upon him and uh, sympathy to his family and of course friend we were numbed with uh, sadness when we heard of the death last Monday morning of Tommy Malone only from Cashel. Still shocked over it, to be honest. Yeah, Fran. What a man. I'd have known uh, Tommy, I suppose, for close on uh, 50 four or five years mm. uh, going to school in Cashel and everything else an absolute gentleman in every sense of the word as indeed were all the Maloney's in For Cashel sure. they were involved sure. hugely in the fruit and veg and everything else but Tommy died suddenly in uh, Lanzarote and Tone and the family uh, again our sincere sympathies indeed uh, Tommy was also a music man mm. as well uh, loved to play the drums and that and played at my young one's wedding oh, maybe 15 or 16 years ago yeah. uh, and, and I played with Tommy of course for years and years uh, in Joe's Five along with uh, Liam and Pat and God yeah I, I, I still can't get over it, to be honest with you I thought Fran you were, you were going to say were you the whore that, that had the wedding in Dundrum and never, and never paid us <laughs> well but, you see Tommy would Tommy was such a gentleman he keeps stuff like that to himself you see that's, that's he what, would, it, what he'd do but, yeah. uh, there's certainly the village of Golden as indeed all the villages around uh, when you see the tallest uh, uh, milk and, uh, and that and Tommy in full flow oh, in and out of Liam Sullivan's shop in Gordon. I mean, like, they were a stun there because there are not Friday morning he'd often give the girls that were in the counter there a curtain of cream and that was greatly appreciated, you know, and yeah. that and, and they were stunned, Fran, yeah. uh, as indeed, and that funeral was on on Sunday evening, please God, from half five to half seven uh, in uh, Devitts in Cashel. Yes, so the burial on, on Monday as well. On Monday, yes, yeah, so yeah. Uh, we've got all wind our way there because... I'd mentioned David Maloney now and again. I think a nephew of Tommy's mm. certainly related uh, in the handball world as well. And you know they're involved in Cashel, King Cormac's Giorgio uh, and and Timmy and mm. and of course Johnny by uh, known as the we used to call him the Quiffer because he had a great greyhound forty odd years ago. The Quiffer and I think won about maybe twenty odd races oh. uh, and that. But oh. uh, look, the, those were the days. And of course, friend, I knew that dad well as well. Old Joe, we used to call him Old Giorgio. He'd be singing. Uh, uh, when we when we'd be uh, meet him uh, himself and Billy Fitzell who was out of Fitzell oh, great, dead. Great uh, man, yeah. I'll always it's amazing what I always remember. I'd always remember Billy Phil, Billy Fitzell in full voice singing when they knocked down the old pine tree <laughs> and took it away to the mill. You know, they were the days, weren't they, Oh, right? stop. Yeah, I remember the, the truck Tommy's father used to drive. I, just all coming back to me now as a child. Friend, you're actually older than I thought you were. There you are. Now it just goes Friend, to show you know. Wasn't that, wasn't that young one uh, the other night absolutely brilliant? Cara, Cara Darmody, uh, yeah. Oh, stop that. 
delightful, unbelievable, you know, and uh, uh, that, and I've no doubt, friend, she will go places. Oh, <laughs> oh so. gosh, she, she reminds me not but a young one that was around 40 odd years ago. She knows it all. Yeah. Uh, I wish her the very best of luck in the, in the leaving cert and that. I just said, take your time reading the things. I know that, Mr. Lubish. What do you make of all the, the discussions we were having during the week then? Uh, refugees and, you know, the fact we're, we're finding it difficult to accommodate oh, yeah. right. them now. Uh, I honestly believe that Matthew McGrath was dead right when he said when it reached 25 or 30,000 people, uh, refugees, that uh, we should take a pull at the moment and see what facilities are available and things like that. Mm. But no and behold, he was inclined, he was maybe blown out of the waters mm. by uh, government TDs and senators and everybody else. An absolute disgrace that we cannot and have not got the facilities. And of course, our facilities here are barely covering ourselves from mm. hospital to education to social welfare and the whole lot. Uh, we should definitely, uh, the government admit themselves now that they're going to try and tell them, look, we have uh, no place for you to lie down at the moment. And to me, it is an absolute disgrace the way that, the way that we are treating them. But we should have taken a poll a good few months ago mm. uh, and seen and, and to see what, what uh, uh, facilities we have. Yeah. Then, friend, I was looking at TDs allowed claim office energy bills under 20,000 allowance. Yeah. TDs what? can claim the cost of, of their constituency office energy bills under a taxpayer funded allowance allowance for public representatives. Uh, the 20,350-year allowance can also be used to pay for some of the domestic elect- electricity and gas bills if they use part of their home as a constituency office. Wow. That means that if you ring a TD at maybe 11 o'clock at night and he's inside in the bed and, and uh, he has to turn on the light, <laughs> well, straight away, who is going to check it all out? To me, it is. To me, friend, I, look, it gets better. Well, Michal Martin said that the offices exist to work on behalf of the constituents and the allowance hasn't gone up to meet any increases in expenditure. So he... But your friend, they have an answer for everything. The plain facts of the matter is, is that if you have a guest uh, heater inside in the kitchen and you bring it into the bedroom or into the sitting room if it is cold and... Mm. and uh, I, look, I think the whole thing is a bloody sham. Oh, just have no doubt about it. And then you see how much your local TDs claimed on expenses and the senators, and that the senators are allowed maybe twelve, fifteen thousand, twenty thousand a year. I mean. The, there's nobody out there to say, lads, this, we have to take a pull on this. Uh, and uh, then you hear uh, uh, Leo Varadkar, uh, 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 look, they're saying, just take him in, the refugees. Mm. Yeah. You know, and friend, where's all the money coming from? You see, they're creating the panic themselves. Uh, they're, they're causing uh, everything to be uh, uh, way more costly uh, by doing what they're doing. They're just throwing money as a problem. It was 400 euro uh, a month, whatever it was, the yeah. allowances for that. And then they just said, look, we'll double it up to 800. Mm, just, to, like, just to get people to open their homes, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. but Fran, they don't give two continental hoots of where the money is coming from. Hmm. You know, I mean, like... Oh, what are you money, saying to me, Johnny, that we'll have I'm to pay, that, pay the piper down the line somewhere, is that yeah, it? That's it, yeah. Money causes problems. Hmm. And that's what they're doing. Money will not solve a problem, friend. There's no point in throwing money at it and think that the problem will go away. Hmm. But they're creating the problems the whole time. Uh, look, you, how many times do we say it? Uh, they can look after nothing. Uh, probably, possibly, the... Government is in office now for what ten or twelve years, mm. and where are they going? 
only adding cost the whole time. They're not able to solve the children's hospital thing above costing 2.5 billion. If I give an estimate for you to fix a gate at home that was 100 euro, I'd have to be as near as I could to, to have, have it. Of course debt. you would. Yeah. And, and and now you have all the, the top class accountants and quantity surveyors and the whole lot the central cost one, 1.2 billion and we thought that was a lot to discover that is now 2.4 billion. Yeah, Nobody gives a continental hoot. Yeah, it's a, it's all crazy. I, I I don't know where it's going to end up. There's a couple of people pointing out things about you. Andy Maloney was on to say Johnny might not have refereed a West final, but his boots did. He gave oh me a loan of his God, boots yeah. one time. I forgot mine, but they were better suited for a donkey. <laughs> says Andy, Andy Maloney. And, well, and, I delighted giving him a size nine, when I know him, well, he, he wearing a size eleven. <laughs> and uh, of course, we're hearing from our friends in Mulnahone again. I hope uh, that Johnny is going to mention the Mulnahone ladies win because they are listening right now. Johnny. Well, Fred, the very best of luck to them. You see, I, I didn't mention them because I might as well tell you the truth. They were in an All-Ireland final and I said I'd go down and, and yes. maybe go into goal for the crack and the whole lot. And do you, you know what they said? What? That, uh, uh, that the, the ladies wouldn't be concentrating on their training that week only thinking of myself in goal. <laughs> so, Fred, straight away I took the hump. The hump and that's Did you? It. Right. But anyway, friend, listen to me. Them ladies in Mullinahone, Mother of God above tonight, fair juice to them and heartiest congratulations to them. But, friend, what do you think of the, uh, the likes of the Waterford set-up now in the scene of Holland? <laughs> Where you have what David you, Fitzgerald. What do you mean asking me that? What would I know about that? Right, you have David Fitzgerald got yes. in, and that's fair yeah. enough. And lo and behold, he, t- he takes Owen Kelly from Mullinahone, which he does, yeah. And then he brings on that fella, the... Uh, Donico O'Callaghan. Mm-hmm. What in the name of God does he know about Holland, Frank? I know he's with Davy in Ireland's fittest family, but there must be savage money in county boards to be paying the whole lot. I actually don't even think that Donico O'Callaghan is a great rugby analyst. Right. He was. He was. But a maybe good knows player. about he knows about strength and conditioning and all this fitness stuff now. Maybe is but that is friend, that what it is? I look. Listen to me. The whole and then of course, what do we do in Tipperary? We what? take t- Tony Brown back from Waterford to Tipperary. To the case of it's like a. a I stepped out a nice stepped in again. <laughs> and friend, nobody what? looks from me and I would tell him a few home truths. Right. I tell him like the man told us in Golden years and years ago when we were playing cash in the West Holland final. Mm. Uh, he said, we have plenty of holies. <laughs> he said, and number one, and use them. <laughs> and he finished off by saying, friend, he didn't say if a row breaks out. He says, when, when the war when the war breaks out, he said, use your hollies. And this fella puts up his hand and he says, what will I do? Because your man was very quiet, but a great holler, a fella from Golden. Yeah. He says, whatever you do, he says, will you keep six inches for yourself? <laughs> Which meant that he was going to get rid of Donald Trump, the bloody inches. Anyway, I hope, friend, I, 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 All hope, right, Johnny. I hope his lashing rain above in Newport and that Timmy Flight is caught on his bloody morning walk. <laughs> good luck, Johnny. Right, good luck. Right, bye-bye, good bye-bye. Good luck. The great Johnny Luby there with his weekly ramblings for uh, 1800 938 007. The text and WhatsApp is 083 311 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie
An Irish priest, Father Richard O'Connor, wants to see Halloween get back its true meaning and warns that some costumes are a betrayal of the Christian faith. He says we have kids dressed up as demons, devils and witches and it shows a complete betrayal of the Christian faith. Well, an Augustinian priest based in Feathered and frequent uh, contributor to the show, Father Iggy O'Donovan joins me now. Good morning to you, Father Iggy. Uh, good morning, Fran. Good morning, listeners. And it's great great to have you on again. Uh, thank you for, for making time for us this morning. Um, what do you make of what Father Richard said? Well, I, for starters, I wouldn't use the word betrayal because the word betrayal implies a, a deliberate choice to take a certain course of action. Um, letting down letting down your own side or somebody else's side. You know, with the word traitor, it has a connotation about it. No, what's happening, and I've got goodness, I see Halloween celebration all around me, and if you like being involved in the religious life here in Feathered, I can, you know, we, we have the, if you like, the church side of it as well. Mm. But, look, let's face one fact before we start, um, Fran. We are now in a secularised society. We are. Yeah. And religious matters, and especially the man in charge, God, is an optional extra in so many areas. And Halloween simply reflects that reality, not just in Ireland. But uh, I know that as it is celebrated now, it's very much an import from America. Mm. They had the trick-or-treat and all this thing. And, um, okay, I will admit that I can see from Father Richard might be coming from, like the very word Halloween means that's the eve of all saints, mm. the feast of all the saints. And then followed from that the next day, the beginning of the so-called the month of our faithful departed, the mm. month of the dead, where traditionally uh, cemeteries were visited, churches were visited, and people remembered those who had gone ahead of them. Okay, that happens to a certain extent among a decreasing, ever uh, decreasing minority still there. Mm. But... We're an increasingly in a secularized society, so Richard shouldn't be that much surprised. Like, probably the best example I could give you, friend, would be St. Patrick's Day. Yes. You see how we celebrate it now. Yeah. And, okay, there was the old myth of the um, Patrick and the um, serpent and the, the snakes. Mm. That's, that seems to be the one bit we've honed in on. That's, we're, that's snakes of every description make their appearance for Patrick's Day now, and you name it. Mm. But by and large what he was about or what he said or his teaching would be largely ignored. Likewise, and here now the church can answer this for themselves, and I'm, I'm a member, by the way. Mm. You take some, even the celebration of First Holy Communion and Confirmation, to, to a huge extent, they have become largely secularized um, material events. And the church, including myself, we've gone along with it. We've had no problem with it. We've gone along with it. and uh, But we really know that when First Holy Communion, and especially Confirmation, are celebrated now, very often it's, it means the beginning of the end of the child's commitment to the Christian setup, And that's just a fact. And I presume so, you regret that, Father Eden, I, do I, you? I do, but, yeah. I, I, but I have to face the reality yeah, yeah. that, look, we do the best we can, friend, to make our Christian beliefs relevant to the world in which we live. And that sometimes means facing facts. Mm. And one of the facts is, what I opened my few words with here this morning, is that we are a secularized society which has gotten rid of the deity in so, so many ways. And Halloween is probably the classic example of that. Like, I can remember growing up in the Glen of Aharlow and the thrill we had when we had... Does anybody know what a snap apple was? Sure, yeah. The snap apple. Yeah. <laughs> that was on Ihahauna. Yeah. That was... And the 
ring, the ring in the barn brack. Mm. I don't know if it's wrong to mention names now, but if Hickey's did put the ring in the, in the barn brack, I think but they do actually. The health, yeah, probably the health and safety authorities now would see that as a dangerous activity. <laughs> you know, and I don't mean to be flippant, but that's a fact. Yes, and yeah. but the, the ring in the barn brack and the snap apple was the high point of my ha- Halloween. Oh, and the Brazil nuts, the Brazil nuts on the, the Halloween. And we visited the graveyard and we our grandparents, God rest them, where they lay and so forth. And the Feast of All Saints, we went to Mass. Mm. Now, I say that. Now, I'm going into a leaving South class in an hour's time here, mm. but history, history class. And I'll arrive in there. And uh, to them, I look like something that's coming out of a museum to these lads. So it's just, things have moved on so much. Well, why, so, why do you say that? Is it because you'll, you'll wear your collar? Or, or, why, why do you, you say know, that? For, for, for one thing, Fran, a couple of weeks ago, I got my, what I call my Charlie Hawhey pass, the free travel right. pass. Yes. When I show that to the boys, the 17-year-olds, they look at me, oh, stop. Yeah. And they're great, they're great, and they keep me a little bit rejuvenated. Mm, mm. It's, a, it's an interesting experience. But when I find out, for example, teaching them, I found a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned the name Ian Paisley, mm. and the majority in the class could not tell me anything about him. Go on. Wow. And, this, and these are historians. Yeah. And um, it's simply somebody from the distant past, as far as they are concerned. Now, back, your point was Halloween and how it has changed. Mm. Of course, it's now all about witches and goblins. Loosely, it's got to do with the dead, the Feast of the Dead. Mm. Is the end because you'll notice the emphasis on skeletons and cobwebs and witches and all types of horror images and sort of count Dracula type images everywhere. But we we face the fact, at least I do anyway, that that is where we have gone. I'll be going home to, I spoke about the snap apple in Aharlow. I'll be going home there over the weekend to the, mm. what is now the grandnieces and grandnephews, and they'll be okay, they'll wheel me out. But they'll be around me asking me to admire their uniforms, mm. which is pointed hats and skeleton faces. And, and you and, won't be offended by that? I absolutely... If I'm offended by that, I might as well crawl back into bed and forget about it. Yeah. Because that is because it's happening, as I said to you earlier, in every other walk of life. You can begin with Patrick's Day. You can begin with Holy Communion, Confirmation, uh, all the other celebrations. A great one is then Valentine's Day. Yes. Officially, he was a Christian martyr. And when we mark his feast in the church, I think it's sometime in February, mm. the uh, 14th, it's, meant, yeah. it's meant to mark Christian martyrdom and remember, remember St. Mm. Valentine. St. Valentine now, I mean, his, his name has given rise to practices of which I think he could never have dreamed. And the young people and so many, even older people, so many of them associated with the romance and we exchange chocolates and roses and champagne. Mm. And poor old Valentine, who was put to death by the ancient Romans as a martyr, I don't think he gets really much luck in except for that one aspect of his life. And for people who would live the Christian faith and would, would go about their Christian duties, and I was trying to see where Father Richard was coming from, so of course Mr. Google helped me on this, and I'm almost ashamed to say I'm going to quote a bit of the Bible to Father Iggy, but it, it says in the Bible that you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons, you cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. And it goes on to say, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Is there any relevance to to the Halloween that we now experience and that? In fact, is when we quote lines from the Bible, um, Fran, and I don't, don't doubt you frequently read it, but... <laughs> you can doubt it. Yeah, okay. Yes. But 
we're dealing with very ancient documents from an ancient civilization where, uh, if you like, um, religious belief would have been universal, superstition would have been so common, any form of, for example, if a thunderstorm appeared or anything, if it was the gods being angry, all of that. Our job is to lift the message from the ancient pages and try and make it alive in the world in which we live. In other words, the message doesn't change, but the world in which it's preached is changing all the time. Like the lads I'm going into in class later on this morning, if I come in court and that to them, they, they look up at Absolutely. me as if I, as I said, something has escaped from the museum yeah. or something. But what we have to do is try and apply it. And so many good people do apply it. I mentioned yesterday, and it was one of the students said it to me, we were talking about all saints a little bit. I, was, I mentioned it. Mm. And he said, as far as he was concerned, the real saints he knew, a couple of people he knew who are carers, who are staying at home with people 24-7, who are in need of intense care. He said, are they not saints? I said, that's a great example. Isn't that a lovely a, thing? For a a great example. Yeah. The carers, who sometimes, and sometimes it goes down to one person in the family who is left with the load. Yeah. And there yeah. they are. And if they get a couple of hours respite in the week. And I say, look, here I am worried about the children dressed as witches or whatever. You think they are the real saints, those people on the Feast of All Saints, the carers. Brother Kevin should be, one day I hope he will be canonised. Yeah. Brother yeah. Kevin in Dublin, who would the be Capuchin, homeless. Uh, the and Capuchin, there, are yes. other, uh, there are other such good examples. And here locally, I look at the daycare centre. Mm. I look at the people here taking care of the Ukrainians. And look, here I am a professional religious. I don't do anything like that. I'm well looked after. I have a comfortable existence. But by God, those carers, those people who do the daycare, all of them, they are the all saints. So all saints lives, up, lives on. It lives on. And if people want to dress up and the children want to dress up as witches or goblins, or dare I say a clergyman and women, oh yeah, but <laughs> so be it. It's, things are much more optimistic, I think, than sometimes the naysayers will have us believe. And look, we have to face the reality in which we live and if we don't, we might as well fold up the tent. Father Iggy, it's always a pleasure. And uh, do you say Happy Halloween? I'm not. I'm not even sure if you can say you that. Can, but you, yes, in, indeed. Um, happy yeah. Halloween. And yeah. anybody passing the old abbey in fact, if even a few old Brazilian nuts throw them in. <laughs> okay. Look after yourself. Bye bye. Okay, bye bye. You now. Bye bye. bye. That's bye. Father Iggy O'Donovan, um, who always cheers me up. Um, delighted to have him on the program today. Eighteen hundred nine three eight double o seven. Um, you can text a WhatsApp on 83 Fran, why would you be ashamed to read God's Word, the Bible? Well, what I meant was that I had a bit of a cheek as somebody who's certainly not a biblical scholar to, to quote to somebody of the... Um, uh, of the background of uh, Father Iggy, but uh, there you are. That's what I meant by that. Um, okay, my sister dressed up as a pregnant nun and a priest another time uh, for Halloween, it says here. Uh, Councillor David Dunn was on to say, fair play to Johnny Luby. I always listen to him and his opinions. He's a great tonic. And well uh, done to Tip FM for continuing to give him a slot on the Tip Today show. Thanks for that, David. He's one of the most popular slots indeed on the programme altogether. Um, okay, lots coming into us and again I will put it together and bring it to you in just a moment Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slattery's of Pecan Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer Slattery's Garage Pecan the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County Slattery's Garage.ie If it matters to you 
It matters to us. Call Tip today on 1-800-938-007. Now, uh, let me see. Wouldn't it be great, uh, says one of our listeners, if uh, more priests were like uh, Father Iggy in this world? And that's Michael in Thurless today. Uh, somebody else saying Father Iggy has a very interesting and very modern approach to uh, religion. Somebody else telling us that, uh, Fran, you can buy a barn brack with a ring in it in Aldi. So there you go. I didn't know that. Uh, New clinical practice guidelines for the treatment of obesity for adults have been launched, which will mean that obesity will no longer be solely defined by weight in recognising that it's a disease defined uh, by many factors. Now, Lauren O'Reilly is our nutritionist and joins me now. Uh, Lauren, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Great to talk to you today. Um, Obesity no longer defined by weight. Is this a good thing, do you think, Lauren? Yes, yes. There's many factors that um, contribute towards obesity and that we need to take into account uh, in the treatment and assessment and and looking at obesity on a wider scale then as well. We we have a huge obesity epidemic um, globally and within Ireland as well. We have a huge issue with it. Um, as well as the complications with it as well. So rather than looking at it from a perspective of the numbers on the scale or the, the basic energy in, energy out, it's now going to be defined as an actual, you know, a, a disease with lots of different factors contributing to it there as well. So I presume then GPs in particular, because they're normally the first port of call, need to look at the root drivers of why somebody is obese? Exactly. So they're going to have a kind of specific pathways. You know, they're going to look at kind of the determinants. They're going to look at the physiology of how it affects the body. They're going to do an official kind of a clinical assessment of obesity there as well. Um, and look at a, kind of a wider range of broader treatments then as well. So they might potentially have a, even kind of a, the checklist going in, you know. Yes. Um, looking at the different factors that might be contributing to your weight. So this could include, for example, from a biological perspective, it could be genetics, it could be stress, it could be hormone imbalances, um, it could be complex behaviour psychology, uh, it could be your gut health, for instance, as well, from a biological perspective as well. But they're going to look deeper again. So as to the causes of this, you know, is it financial? Do you have issues with money at home? Or is it, you know, do you have the social support around you as well? So it's kind of the wider scale of the, the causes and what's going on with you then as well. It's interesting. So essentially then we're putting it on the same footing as diabetes and heart disease and lung disease and all of that. Yeah, so kind of looking at it more so as a kind of a chronic illness. Yes. Rather than rather than just a lifestyle thing that we can change with just, you know, take good exercise and good food and it, that will sort you, you know. Um, the guidelines work quite, they're, they're quite important as well to trying to destigmatise de- uh, obesity as well. Yes. And again, looking at it amongst, looking at it as a disease rather than, you know, something that's lifestyle-based and, and quite judgmental then as well, you know. And do we need to almost look at uh, the addictive nature of it as well, as see aspects of obesity as addiction? Yeah, that, that would be one side to it as well. So there's, there's lots of different factors that come to play. There could be a combination of different factors. There could be a combination of genetics there and there could be a combina- combination of psychological issues there. Um, there could be a combination of nutrition from a biological perspective there, like sugar sugar addiction and so on there as well. 
So it really is kind of a, a vast overlook of, of everything, really, um, rather than the kind of simplistic look that we looked at it before. Will this help in terms of, you know, the image of somebody that's uh, overweight or whatever, and immediately uh, people might think, you know, lazy, gluttonous, all of these kinds of things. Will this help to, to, to maybe make people look at overweight people in a different way? It does. It, it does, and also the health professionals need to be educated and stigmatised in terms of this then as well, not just the general public too. And that's one of the, the routes that the guidelines go down is, is educating both the public and the health professionals as well to, to look at things differently in terms of this as well. The drivers of obesity, um, if we leave addiction and stuff aside, I mean, we're constantly being bombarded from the food and drinks industry with everything that's bad for us. And I'm taking into account this weekend that, you know, when kids knock on doors, they'll be given all sorts of candy and sweets and all of that. Um, What about that, Lauren? Yes, yes. And actually, this is a good weekend to be talking about this particular subject there as well. So there's the psychology of things, at least in the psychology of marketing. There's the psychology of, you know, um, um, being able to control the amount of sugar that we take in, particularly for children as well. Um, coming up to this weekend, you know, if I can help any parents of any way, um, you know, make sure that the children have a good dinner before they go out trick-or-treating, maybe reduce the size of the treat bag or box so so it limits the amount of sugar that you're bringing into the home. Uh, Maybe agree in advance with the children that, okay, we're about to go trick-or-treating, you can have two treats out of your bag when we go home and we'll put some away for for later for for a treat. Um, You know, and then that way, at least, if you have things in agreements in advance and also check the check the treat bags when you bring them in from trick-or-treating to make sure that, that it's safe, that the foods are in date, mm. that, they, that mm. there's no choking hazards and there's nothing in that bag uh, that isn't suitable for children. And those and of us well. who might be doling out treats to kids as well, have we an obligation here? Should we look at this in some sort of a, not to be a party pooper, but can we look at it in some sort of a, a nutritionist uh, fashion? Yeah, so there's loads of different health professionals involved in the generation of these guidelines from every single science that you can imagine. Um, and, and this is one part of it as well, is number one, educating the parents um, so about right and wrong and healthy meal habits and, you know, and even like assisting parents in the weaning process, you know, um, from a very basic perspective, you, you know, sitting down and taking the time to wean children onto healthy food rather than kind of go, oh, go on then, you can have your chips tonight, or you go on, go on then, have, have your crisps, um, and, and let them be picky eaters growing up. Setting down those foundations from a very early age is quite important um, to put them into their, uh, or setting them up for their lifestyle eating habits for the rest of their life, essentially. Now, that's, I mean, the way you, you say that, it all sounds plausible and, and proper and all of that, but it's a difficult one to to do isn't it it is it is you know um and i suppose like the, the, these clinical guidelines are dealing with the existing obese at the moment um however what we do need to address is the those who are coming into obesity you know and, mm. and find the causes uh related to that the appropriate treatment for that then as well uh, and looking at looking at it from you know a very basic perspective from childhood onwards 
You mentioned in passing there some time ago, and I'd love you to tell me a little more about it, the genetic factor of uh, obesity, um, because I know in my own family that we tend to put on weight extremely easily and find it very difficult to to, to get it off. There are families like that, are there not? Or am I just making an excuse, Lauren? There is, and actually I've studied genetics myself, and it's actually quite fascinating. It's called epigenetics, essentially. Um, you know, and there is there is lots of different factors that happen when a child's in the room. Uh, and one of them is fetal programming, for instance, as well. So even what you what you eat, what, what the mother eats whilst the child is in the room, can have an effect on um, genetics and obesogenic factors then as well. Um, so there's a huge amount of research going into this. Um, and you can actually genetically program genes to have certain ailments uh, once, once the child is born um, through what a mother eats. Uh, so it's called nutrigenomics. Wow. <laughs> um, while, whilst mm. the child in the room, it, it's absolutely fascinating and it's one of the fields that I love. Um, so it, it, it is extremely fascinating. So whilst a lot of, you might hear someone go, oh, so my genes, and, they, and people yeah. are going to go, yeah, I'm sure it is. But it, genuinely, there is, there is actual genetic contributions to obesity. Um, and, and it is a genuine thing that that obesity can be genetic as well. Isn't that amazing? But just because we're predisposed doesn't necessarily mean that we need to go down that route. Exactly. So, yeah. for example, a gene you can be you can have that gene, uh, but that gene would need to be triggered. Yes. Um, so it's, it's the same with any gene. For example, the cancer gene, for instance, mm. that a lot of people might be carrying. Uh, you know, uh, that gene would need to be can often need, need to be triggered as well. So you could actually. That's often done by the environment. Uh, it can be done by the food that we eat then as well. So you, you can actually trigger those genes. Um, some may come triggered, but some other genes can be triggered to your environment and the foods that you eat then as well. So what you want to do is, is provide your body with the best chance so that you, you don't end up with the ailments later in life. Isn't that a fascinating study? It is. A- absolutely it is. fascinating indeed. Laurent, do you have a website that people can have a look at or a Facebook? Yes. Uh, it's uh, www.nutritionbylauran.ie Today, 0672411 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, fuck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, fuck on. On 0672411 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Sheila, and uh, welcome back to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. We were speaking to uh, Lauren O'Reilly, our nutritionist, uh, just before 10. And uh, one of our listeners says, did that lady ever hear of lipedema? It's nothing to do with obesity, uh, but doctors need to be educated on it. Um, Funny enough, I hadn't heard it. I heard about it, but I was looking it up there just during uh, news, and it's seemingly a condition that uh, causes excess fat to accumulate 
in certain parts of uh, the body and uh, mostly affecting, well, almost uh, completely affecting uh, women. In fact, about 11% of women, I believe, uh, suffering from this in some fashion or other. There you go. You learn something new every day. Another listener on to say, just want to know, um, I just want you to know, I had a bad fall yesterday. I called my doctor to see if uh, I could... uh, go and uh, meet her. I was told no appointment until next Wednesday. This is still going on, Fran. God, if you had a bad fall and have to wait around until next Wednesday, that doesn't sound uh, correct to me, but there you go. Um, Okay, it is, of course, Halloween weekend, and our reporter, Katie O'Donovan, was out and about to ask uh, the public about their Halloween traditions, and here is what she heard. I used to enjoy it when my children were young, and we did parties and put up all the decorations and everything else, but now... As they're grown up, I don't have much to do with it. No, might make pumpkin soup. Oh, our poor dog doesn't like Halloween. I'm afraid he, when he hears the bangers, he just gets very... I don't like it. I'm a Christian, and I do feel, honestly, all these goblins and demonism stuff is slightly against, you know, the Christian teaching. No, I quite enjoy it. It brings me back to my youth, and, yeah, I quite like the tradition. Still decorate, um, do up the house, and, yeah, have family over. And so it's nice, a nice gathering. No, I still enjoy it. I think it's brilliant. I have a granddaughter and I decorate my house and, you know, put all Halloween stuff up and that. She loves it. So do I. Um, I like it anyway, yeah. Just a bit of dress-up sometimes. I can. Well, I think I dressed up like a vampire or werewolf some years. Bit of fun. And just watch Hocus Pocus. It's too much. 30 years ago, in our day, it was just peanuts and apples. It was now. It's gone too commercialised, as you say. And starts too soon. Not now. Used to have when we were young, when we were children. Very simple. Snap apple. Too commercialised. Yeah. Uh, uh, trick or treating with children, yes. Get them involved in a uh, dress up, go out. And that's our Katie O'Donovan out and about for us yesterday to uh, hear what the people of uh, Tipperary think about the traditions surrounding Halloween. Well, let's hear from a witch now, a real witch. I'm delighted to be joined by Yvonne Lawton, who is based in Yall in County Cork. Yvonne, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well indeed and great uh, great to chat to you. I spoke to you some time back on the programme, but would you remind people again about how you discovered witchcraft? Well, it was just something really that I was kind of always interested in. Um, obviously, you all hear, we always hear about witches are bad, witchcraft is bad or whatever. So I investigated a lot further. And basically, witchcraft is it's a practice, it's a way of living, it's a style of living where you live in harmony with the, um, the earth, you live in harmony with the seasons. And, you know, we try to leave as little footprints on the earth as, as possible. So witchcraft isn't what people think it is. Um, it's more practice and it's more lifestyle. And, you know, it's funny, you know, people just like yourself make contact, which is just at Halloween time. Mm, mm. It's not as if you suddenly wake up in October time and go, oh, I'll be a witch, I'll be a witch for this month. Um, witches have nothing really to do with Halloween, uh, with Samhain. Um, You know, Samhain, obviously, uh, Ireland is the birthplace of Samhain. Yes, this is the and, pagan the pagan aspect of Halloween. Yeah, yeah, and then Halloween, then we know, comes from the ninth century when the <clears throat> when they changed the calendar and everything. Mm. So in 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 Ireland before, uh, we're not too sure roughly when Samhain would have been uh, celebrated, but probably between uh, the autumn equinox and the uh, the winter solstice. Mm. So I think for this year, Samhain will be celebrated on the seventh of November. Ah, and Samhain itself hmm. means November. 
and in uh, the Celtic times, um, they would have your 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 day would have began at night time. So you'd be again at night time, and then you go into the day because you always work from the darkness into the light. Yeah, I thought there was an aspect of Samhain that involved witchcraft, but obviously not, Sivan. No, 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 everybody's under the misunderstanding yeah. that, you know, like suddenly, like all my friends, suddenly people want to talk to them and all of this. But we do this all the time. You know, witchcraft or kind of sound celebrates death and Bielsena, which is the opposite mm. to uh, sound, celebrates life. And, you know, it was in Ireland, there are only four, uh, there are four great fire festivals. And then there were two main festivals, which be Samhain and which would be Bielsena. So Samhain goes into dark, the dark season and Bielsena goes into your light season. It's very interesting indeed. But you live your life 365 days a year as a witch then, you know. It's it, it's how you live, I guess. It is. It's how you live and it's, you know, you, um, you know, we all have our good days and our bad days. And some days, as I said to you before, you're a good witch and some days you're a bad witch. Mm. Because at the end of the day... I don't think anybody can say, oh, my God, I'm really such a good person. Mm. Um, And, you know, people tend to think that witches are all about uh, badness. And I suppose a long time ago, witchcraft might have been seen. And and again, it's up for argument as you could do your magic, you Mm. could practice your craft, and that was witchcraft. But then if you did the healing side of things, even though you were probably doing something similar to witchcraft, then you would have been considered a cunning man or a wise woman. Ah. So it just depends on how you interpret things, really. And, and is that where we got the notion of the good witch, the white witch, and uh, the dark mm-hmm. witch? Is that where yeah, that emerged from? Probably, because then people thought it's just easier to differentiate between white and dark. Yes. And at the end of the day, I don't think any of us can stand there and say, I'm a pure white person. We're grey, you know, we, we walk, you know, as I said, some days we're good, some days we're bad, you know, if somebody mm. does something wrong to us, we sometimes want to get get back, you know, whatever it is. So, you know, at the end of the day, everybody's just a person and it it just depends on your belief system, whether you're a Catholic, brought up a Christian, whether you're into paganism or whatever. Mm. It's just really connecting back to yourself and who you are as a person because a lot of times we look outside, but what we need to do is look inside. We need to see who we truly are. Would it be compatible to be a witch and be a Christian, for example? I do know some people that are, yeah. Yeah. They, they are, yeah. Right, because so. they would practice, or they may go to Mass, but they would still practice magic um, as well. Can you yeah. cast spells, for example? Well, casting spells is all about intention, mm-hmm. and it's about knowing the plants and the trees and all the energies that they would carry with them. So it's about having a knowledge or a sense of what is around you at any given time. So, for example, when they walk in the mornings, I can see... Uh, the blackthorn is growing. It's got a magical quality to it. So if I wanted to cast a spell, what would I use blackthorn for? Um, Ireland is just so steeped mm. in... Uh, we're, we're so magical people anyway. And even, you know, the simple nettle, if you take that, that's really good for, for somebody even to drink during these dark times because it helps you uh, feel a bit better. Yes, it's full, full of iron, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, so like the earth gives us everything that we need. All we have to do is tune into what's around us. And I'm not talking about, you know, that I need to go to, I don't know, to Dublin to get X, Y, and Z. I need to look at the land mm. and see what what is around us and what I can use that for. Right. It's a, it's a simple way of living. And what about magic then? Is that is that something completely different to what we're discussing now, Yvonne? Uh, it, it depends. Uh, magic really is um, trying to change things around you. 
Yeah. So, uh, for example, if you want, let's say tonight, the weather's supposed to be bad and we're having a, a fabulous Halloween festival in y'all. Mm. And we want the weather to be good so everybody at the moment is casting spells. So they're uh, setting intentions that the weather will move off just for even two hours. So they're they're putting their magic to work. Gosh. So it's, um, it's the energy, something that you carry with you. And if you ask 200 people, they will have a, definition, a different definition of what magic is. So it's what does magic mean to the pr- practitioner? Tell me what you think about the dead. And, uh, I mean, is there a connection there between witchcraft and the afterlife and the dead, for example? Well, part of witchcraft, uh, our belief would be that we move on. So we move on to the other world. Um, and quite often that we call the other world as the island of apples or the summer lands. So when you die, our belief would be that you're, and I can only speak for myself because everybody has their own own way of practicing, is that your spirit leaves your body because energy cannot die, so it moves on into a a different dimension. So basically they're vibration. So it's another, it's a vibrational world they move into. So we're living in one vibration, and they they will be living in a different vibration to us. And tuning in. is there anything of the Christian notion that uh, that we might end up in a vibration that might be hellish or heavenish, depending on the lives that we've led, for example? Well, for us, um, we don't believe in a devil. That was something that came with Christianity. Um, we believe that when you cross over, you will live. They, they will show you or you will be showing uh, how you had lived your life so when you caused hurt you will feel the pain of the other person mm. so in a way that's hell isn't it that you know when you yeah. can feel pain that you've caused to somebody else and you oh. have to relive it God yeah yeah that's just you know, and sometimes we do it unintentional um, but it's when we do it intentional there lies the issue Right, isn't that very yeah. interesting indeed yeah. so, so do I take from that that you believe in a kind of a judgement well the judgement is yourself yeah Yes. So you, you you see, we give our power away to people, to others so much. When at the end of the day, we've got to realise that the power lies within us, and each of us is an, is a powerful person. Um, you know. So. Mm. So the notion of hell and 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 heaven lies within us. Then I guess as well. It does. That's correct. Yes, it does. Right. Isn't that a very interesting way to it think is. about things? Indeed. Uh, have you had? Strange experiences as a, a, a witch, if you don't mind my asking, Yvonne. Oh, yes, we would have had strange experiences, even when we stand to in ritual. So we do a ritual, so we welcome in the earth, air, fire and water. We welcome in the elements and we thank all of those who have gone before us and for those yet to come. You can actually feel them standing behind you. So you can feel the energy changing so you know that you're not alone and you can actually see shadows behind everybody when you stand there. My God. So it, yeah, so even for tonight, it, like we're on the beach, we've got the fires lit, um, we've got our cloaks on, and people can come to watch. Uh, you, can, you can just feel that. And, you know, we, we would do um, a, lo- a lovely little ceremony for our beloved dead, for all those who've gone before us. And um, and is that is that not frightening for you in any way? No. Why, why, would, that, why would that be frightening? Isn't that just so amazing? Oh, my goodness, it just... Um, it makes your heart sore that they come and they join us. If they didn't do anything bad to you, I mean, as we all know, the living are more scarier than the dead. For sure. And obviously yeah. you do it with respect because I now haven't, have never had any bad experience, but one or two people have said 
but it's about giving them the respect that they deserve. Right. It's about giving them that time. Um, and it's a beautiful thing to be able to stand in circle with others here and then with others that come from the other side. Um, and it's very emotional. And um, it's, it's the respect that's given to each other. And at the end of the day, what else do we want except respect and to be remembered? As we go forward, I find that fascinating indeed. But but not only do you feel the energy of I I don't know can I call it spirit or, or something you call but, it spirit yeah. right right but you you can see something as well. There's an entity, is there? You can there is yeah you can see a person um it, My God. standing behind people um just sometimes the out uh, the shadow of them or something something sometimes it looks like it's shimmery because we are made from light. So, as they say in the light, into the light we will return. So you can kind of see it's almost like a shimmer, uh, just standing behind people. And you, uh, your own relations that might have passed on, Lauren, how, do, do you feel a presence of them? Yes, I do. And it's not even just during Halloween. They're there all the time. We do it anyway at home when we light a candle for them, when we um, we have their photographs. And sometimes, you know, you might be thinking about that person and their song might come on the radio. And there are always little subtle signs you know, that they try to give to you to show that they're around and they're watching you and they're with you um, when you need, obviously, to be comforted Right, but that, well. that must give you great comfort then that there is something else there when you pass away, I suppose. Oh, yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. And, you know, as we were talking about earlier on, when you become your own judge, mm. you and when you live like that, then you react to situations differently because you do know as you move on to the next life, you're going to judge all of these situations. So you're very aware of how your actions are and how they affect other people as well. Right, because and how they affect the planet. Right, you may have to live through that yes. experience in some ways. Exactly. Is that what you mean? Martin was on and he's wondering, uh, what does, uh, yeah, what, what do you think about the perception of witches, that it's all down to Hollywood's portrayal of witches oh, yeah. and has Definitely. that done damage to how people look at uh, people like yourself, Yvonne? It has done damage, but I think people are becoming more aware that that's not the way it is. Mm. I mean, we all know Hollywood, like, they wouldn't be in movies or they wouldn't be making movies if somebody wasn't having a crash or there was going to be a plane crash. It's yeah. always something bad. And sometimes it's nice to see a movie that's very positive. Mm. But that doesn't, like, that doesn't often happen. But, um, yeah, he's right. And, you know, the, the, the thing from the, that witches are green kind of comes mm. from... Mm. Um, over the, what's that? Somewhere over the rainbow. That that uh, movie. Mm-hmm. Actually, I can't remember what the name of it oh, is. Oh yeah, um, the, yeah. The Wizard of Oz. There the we Wizard go. Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. So people get their their perceptions, I suppose, from from uh, the likes of that. Do you see people, Yvonne? I mean, do you practice as a witch? Do you do people come to you and all of that? Yeah, we have a, we have a shop actually in the town as well called the Leaf. So you know, people come in and out, and you chat to them, and yeah. Um, yeah, and it's nice to sit with people and educate them and uh, it gives us that chance to show people what witchcraft really is about. Yes, um, I, I think you well. sell crystals uh, there as well, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah we do. We sell, we sell lots of different things, yeah. yeah, yeah. Very good. And that, sh- that shop is called what, Yvonne? It's called Believe in oh. Y'all. Okay, right, yeah. just just in case people want to, to drop by. But did I get from you that you're a little bit frustrated that people like me only talk to you at times like this? Yeah, 
Yeah. Of course. Do you think like this kill you think, you know, witches aren't just for Halloween. Okay. I mean <laughs> It's like puppies we're here not being for Christmas. Do like, <laughs> wake up on the first of October and go, Yes, it's Valentine, it's Halloween time, I'll be a witch. But you know, that that's kind of and people equate uh, witches with Halloween or with sewing or whatever. Yeah. And witches really don't have anything to do with it other than the fact that they they celebrate us. Right, but you are celebrating tonight, as you say, with the. Oh, uh, we're celebrating for the whole weekend, yeah. yeah. Um, we have a, an amazing uh, festival uh-huh. going on in Yale. So we're lucky to be able to do that as well. And there's, there's 25 witches on the beach, and we have them from different places. We have a Brazilian witch, we have somebody from the Ukraine, we've got Polish. You know, so we welcome everybody that wants to stand in circle with us. And it's great to have that connection to other people with the other, you know, that live in Europe and uh, we've got people yeah, from, from America and everything. So it's pa- great. Patrick was on and he said you're spot on because he was drawn to a craft display this morning in the library in uh, town. And lo and behold, his mum's artwork was in it and he was just thinking of his mum earlier oh, on. Oh, see, there you go. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's amazing. Isn't it amazing. It's just to recognise the signs. Yeah. Yeah, we're, and we're always all, rushing. Yeah, I was just going to say, we're all busy and we're dashing around the yeah. place and I suppose we don't uh, stop and smell the roses, so to speak. Yeah. Yvonne, it's a real pleasure and thank you for your time this morning. Thank you and thank, thank you, you so much for thank the conversation. You, you, Mind yourself, have welcome. a good, have a blessed sound. Oh, Take care, thank you very much. Thank you for that. That's Yvonne Lawton, who is a witch in Yall, uh, with a shop down there as well called Believe. So there you are. We'll take a break. It's 25 past 10. Back in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Pecan, you can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie And you're welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Now, some reaction to our witch, Yvonne, who was on with us uh, just there a few moments uh, ago. Somebody saying, my daughter almost died and she felt Nora come around her to protect her. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that absolutely fascinating? Um, another listener on to say, Fran, this lady needs to read Luke 16, verse 26. And Ali was good enough to find that for me. And that says, a great chasm has been fixed. There is no transport between Hades and paradise or between hell and heaven. And it's too late to repent. Well, that's a... Uh that's tough talk there. Somebody else telling me that there's a shop on the narrow street in Clanmel that sells all other worldly things. There is indeed, and I love it. I've never been in the shop, but I often look in uh, the window and there's always a gorgeous smell of incense uh, from the shop as well. So thank you for that. 1800 Now, Halloween is here for some people, the celebration of the year, but with costs continuing to soar, lots of us and parents will be forced to scale back on the usual traditions, especially when it comes to costumes or trick-or-treating or party planning. Well, Jen Hogan is a mother of seven and a journalist with the Irish Times and joins me now. Good morning to you, Jen. Good morning, Fran. And uh, a pleasure to talk to you as always. Have you any okay. tips for us around Halloween with the family so that you won't be completely broke afterwards? Yeah, I was just, this morning mine had gone off to school um, all dressed up for school and I was informed on in the way, obviously we can't wear these man now on Halloween night because they've been seen. <laughs> Are like you the old, serious? Oh, yeah. Lord. 
just a bit like the old Hollywood thing of the dress has been on the red car, but it can't be seen again. Now, I have mostly boys, you have to bear in mind, Fran. So wow. This was still yeah. the case. Yeah. But um, I was thinking, that's fine. You can each wear each other's costumes, then we can mix and match around and work around that way. And that has been a big part of Halloween, I think, for us for the last number of years, uh, pa- passing on costumes, kind of tweaking costumes, adding bits to them, because they are really expensive. Oh, they are, yeah. yeah, I mean, the days the black bag is gone, the black bag which which served as a multitude, you know, a witch or a cat or a black bag, <laughs> whatever it was that you were going dressed as. Yeah, I was, my, my lads are gone way past it, no, but, yeah. but I, I was in a, a, I better not name the outlet recently, but I couldn't believe the cost of the Halloween mm. stuff. I mean, ridiculous, absolutely yeah. ridiculous. The only good thing I'd say, well, particularly in my house here, they're big fans of dress-up. So the costumes are no longer just for Halloween. Okay. Mine go around dressed up all the time. So they do get, well, they do here anyway, get an awful lot more value out of them at least. But it is a big expense at mm. the beginning. Um, it is when you're, when you're starting out and they're just kind of growing up and they don't have older siblings to pass things on to. That, I mean, the passing on is brilliant, obviously. The passing on, I know some people are really creative. I'm not one of those people, unfortunately. <laughs> <Me> <laughs> Which I would so love to be. <laughs> I mean, there were some pretty impressive costumes on the way to school today, just making me feel like um, inadequate mother altogether. I said, here, chuck this on. Your brother wore a few years ago. A few years You'll, be grand, grand. You'll be grand. I'll paint your face green. No one needs to... <laughs> you know, you're, we're not going to be exact what you are. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so, and what about, I mean, some people are talking to me as well about charity shops and, uh, the, you yeah. know, there might be stuff in charity shops that you could buy and transfer over or something Ab- like that. Absolutely. And, you know, some of the people are always, charity shops and friends and neighbours are o- often only delighted to pass on mm. costumes, picking on people out, grow them, you know, trying to get rid of stuff that you have around your house. That was somewhere else. I, I was really lucky. I was, you know, complaining or woke betiding me thinking of my lack of artistic skills and, and a neighbour sent me a message going my kids have grown I have a few costumes there. would you be interested in passing them on I was really delighted to receive them but yeah things like that cousins friends people are generally happy to pass them on um, and, and even within your own dress up box you'd be surprised what you can res- what you can be creative with when you have to <laughs> you know if you can make when yeah. you have to do you know um, I was just thinking though Jen I, I don't know when the last time I had a conversation about passing down clothes it's as if that that's been yeah. abandoned but I presume with seven it's very much part of of your budgeting I suppose absolutely and as I said to you I have a lot of boys um, yeah. and my eldest is a girl but the next six are boys so they can pass them on within reason, but mm. you know they hit the knees out of things, and eventually when it's gone through a couple, um, you're not able to to use it anymore. As the school uniforms reduce the need for quite as many clothes during the winter season. Mm. Anyway, during the summer, you know, we it's different. But over the course of the school year, maybe you don't need quite as many. But I think passing on clothes has come back, particularly with the cost of living crisis. I think we've got a bit more sensible there, and we are open to accepting things. And I know even when we were talking about going back to school, um, the WhatsApp groups, certainly my own WhatsApp groups, looking at them and hearing from other parents, were full of people offering um, jumpers or tracksuits or parts of uniforms that older children had grown out of if anybody was interested, particularly with crested pieces of uniform that are so expensive. So I think we've become much more open to that. There's no offence taken when people offer and there's no um, shame at all associated with accepting either. I don't know that we ever go down that, but perhaps people felt that maybe there might be. That seems to be gone, thankfully, because well, the thankfully. waste as well, yeah. the financial waste and the environmental waste, it's good to see that we're using our cop on here a bit. Absolutely, isn't it great? We, do you do the traditional games or anything like that, Jen, we or do. do they go trick-or-treating or what? Yeah, they will. They'll go trick-or-treating. Uh, the bigs will take some of the smallies 
I think it's an excuse for them to go out. Of course. You know, they'll go around and we'll play, you know, we'll have all the stuff that my mum and dad would have done with us with the apple and the water and um, we don't not not quite at the stage when mother was at. She used to put money wrapped in tin foil into our mashed potato. There was no choking incidents. Amazing. <laughs> Are like, you serious? Was that a, a was that her own tradition or was that I widespread? The plan that my nana used to do, so she did. It was a bit like you know the ring and the brack, yes, and then she yeah. added you know ten pence or whatever. <laughs> That's the case. <laughs> but my kids, I'm taking no chances. I don't fancy a run to A&E no, on Halloween I do, night. <laughs> I, do, I don't think so, indeed. Do you enjoy it, Jen, or is it a bit of a chore? I love it. Do I you? absolutely love it. And I've loved it more, I think, since the pandemic because I think we were so desperate, so desperate to have, as last year, just to have a tiny bit of normality. And it wasn't normal last year because even I would have noticed a lot of neighbours were afraid to answer the door um, and people were getting wary as our numbers were rising last year. The year before, obviously, we were asked not to trick or treat. And I think that's really made me realise how important it was. It was the saddest thing two years ago to watch children going around waving at each other at their pals in behind a window screen, you know, just looking at pumpkins, but because they couldn't go trick or treating. I love it. I think life is, you know, life is busy. It can be hard enough having those couple of occasions during the year that you get excited and you let the kids kind of lose the the run of themselves with mm, excitement mm. is kind of good for everyone so I do enjoy it yeah I love it and, and does it bother you at all just I'd love your opinion on this because it came up in the last mm. hour of the programme that we've imported a version of Halloween now that's very kind of Americanized in some way does that does that concern you at all I think we've done that with Christmas as well and I suppose Halloween originally was an Irish or was a Celtic tradition that yeah. we kind of sent there and now we're just taking it back perhaps we're doing it more in the style they do with the lights outside and the decorations outside. but we did that with Christmas too and maybe they do it better. Maybe they do. <laughs> maybe they yeah, do they certainly do it with great better. style and great colour do. and stuff, don't yeah. they? Yeah, and like it's, I mean, you look at what they do at Halloween and the, I suppose, the decorations and the huge thing that it's become. The part I find hard to get my head around is, you know the way kids say trick-or-treat now and they go down. When I was growing up, it was house the Halloween party. I don't know where this trick-or-treat. Now, that's, obviously, I do know where it came from, across the water. But yeah. um, besides that part, where I'm going in my day, it was help the Halloween party. <laughs> I'm happy to happy to take you on board there. Absolutely, there yeah. The, the, crack. the discussion we had in, in the first hour centered around there's a father Richard who was saying that you know we've lost we've lost the plot really on where Halloween is concerned. We need to embrace what the original uh, Christian story was on this, and he was uh, putting forward the theory that maybe people, maybe kids should be going around dressed as saints as opposed to goblins and devils and stuff like that. Do you? <laughs> Do you want yeah. to do you want to get involved in that conversation? Yeah, I, I have a kind of different view there. I mean, I understand people wanting to keep uh, religious significance with with particular holidays, yeah. and I can understand um, a religious person wanting to keep uh, and a religious association. You know, we we recognise all is it all saints or all souls on the first. I'm not even hundred. you're you're up to speed. You're up to speed. <laughs> one of them on the first, but no, I think you know what Halloween. And this is not a new thing. I mean, go back when I was a child, Halloween was all about the, the demons and the zombies and the witches and the wizards. It's a long time. For a long time, it's been celebrated as yeah. such, and I think fair enough.
Right, and it's no mm-hmm. harm as far as you're concerned. Anyway, exactly. Jen, yeah. yep. Jen, you always make time for us. Thank you so much. My all, pleasure, Brian. Have a great weekend. Jen. You, you too, and my best to your family as well. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye to you now. That's Jen Hogan there. Jen is a mum of seven, very busy uh, woman, and also a much uh, celebrated journalist uh, in the Irish Times as well. 1800-938-007. Fran, you've had two very interesting people on Tip FM, both from two different worlds, Father Iggy and Yvonne from Yall, who is a witch. Isn't it great to tolerate each other's differences? And I found both very tolerant and very interesting to listen to. Isn't that a beautiful WhatsApp from, from somebody? Thank you very much indeed for that. Fran, I love Halloween. I love making new costumes uh, every year. I spend a whole week making a costume and we do a ghost walk and all the kids on Halloween, with all the kids on Halloween night, better than Christmas and no pressure, says one of our listeners. Somebody uh, telling me that Sacred Senses is the name of that shop that we were making reference to on the Narrow Street in Clanmel. And Elaine tells me it's packed with lovely stuff and friendly, helpful staff. And Rory is the owner, seemingly. And uh, there's lovely girls in there looking after customers as well. I really have to go in because I've spent enough time outside looking, <laughs> looking in the window. I really must go in and visit that shop because I love shops like that. Uh, we'll take a break back in a moment. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, as usual, on a Friday, delighted to be joined by Andrew Luby in studio. Kind of a different one today because it being Halloween, uh-huh. you're looking at Halloween movies. Yeah, Halloween movies. Yeah. Halloween movies. Do you like Halloween? I do, sort of, yeah. Kind of? I do. Kinda. But I'm not a great fan of horror movies, I must say. No. Um... For what reason can I ask you? I, I, I'm a scaredy cat. Oh, are you really? Yeah, yeah, a, kind of a little. Yeah, looking through webbed fingers. Yeah, I know. And, yeah. yeah, particularly some of the ones that you're talking about, I found particularly scary. I, f- I think a lot of them are nonsense. To be honest with you, yeah. um, they don't really affect me that much. Um, Even I, when they're really gruesome. Well, I find I find the real life stuff a little bit more upsetting. Do you know what I mean? Like like the Jeffrey Dahmer thing and stuff like that. Whereas I kind of, anytime I'm watching these, I, I know it's fiction. Right, you and, know it's uh, a movie. And, yeah, you yeah. know, so it doesn't really get me. Like, I wouldn't have a sleepless night because of these. There's one of them that I'd forgotten that I'd seen uh, quite some time ago until I started looking up some Halloween movies to do today. Mm. Uh, one called 1922. Yeah, I'm from not aware Stephen, of this at all. It's Stephen King one again. Like, King has written just some of the best ones, like Carrie and... Misery, and they mightn't be in the genre of um, of horror. Mm. Well, I, well, everything he does is in the genre of horror, mm. but it mightn't be kind of Halloweeny stuff. You know, yes, what I, mean? I know. Yeah, mightn't yeah. be quite as gruesome as, as all that. But he's done like you know, Pet Cemetery. Like Misery was fantastic. Um, great, the mov- great movie, movie was yeah. a book is fantastic. Anyway, uh, nineteen twenty-two. This is very good. I've forgotten about this. To be honest with you, uh, this is on Netflix. So something to keep in mind for uh, your Halloween weekend. Um, for those who've never heard the story uh, or have not seen it. It's a part of the book uh, Full Dark No Stars, okay? But the movie is called 1922. Uh, the story was so good that it became an audiobook, actually. And I like audiobooks. Do you, mm. you do audiobooks or podcasts mm, do, and yeah. stuff like that? Because well, you, do, you yeah. do a lot of driving and mm. that. Uh, so maybe you'd prefer to listen to it. Now, do you know something? Listening to it might be a little bit more unnerving. Uh, if you're driving late right. at night, you're listening to this kind of stuff. Well, it's there as an audiobook. That's what it? I'm saying. Oh, right. Yeah, okay, yeah, excellent. it was so good they made an audiobook. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Jane has uh, lead part of Wilford James, and he is fantastic. He's absolutely superb in this. Um, 
parents need to know, look, I mean, just, you know this kind of stuff we're talking about. Mm. You can imagine what it is. Yeah. You know, if you've got smallies at home, this isn't going to be suitable so for them. It's gory stuff, is it? Yeah. It is gory. Uh, it is. Set in 1922, that's where they get the name, obviously, mm. uh, on a farm in Nebraska. Intense conflict uh, within a family leads to destruction. This is kind of the blurb that I found online about it. Mm. No, I didn't write this myself. So it's shot, Fran, with every intent of shocking and disturbing the audience. And it does. It really, really does. Um, gruesome, but not all about that kind of thing. Mm. Um, kind of a psychological thriller, I think, maybe more than anything else. Um, if you don't like rats, and I'd forgotten about this part because I hate, I, God, man, I hate rats. Mm. Uh, a lot of rats in it. Um, you see, they always drag the poor old rat out, don't they? When they're doing horror movies, yeah. climbing over corpses and through the walls and all that kind of thing. You can expect plenty of blood and horrific this is entertainment. <laughs> this, this is entertainment. Um, 1922. So, uh, look, it, it definitely gets under your skin. It maintains a kind of menacing kind of vibe mm. from start to finish. I think you'll like it if, if you check it out, actually. It's a tale of guilt and regret, 1922, easily. Uh, a lot of people say finest, one of the finest Stephen King Is films. It, it? A lot of the critics are saying that, uh, actually, certainly in recent memory, anyway. Uh, so for fans of King, ghost stories and small-scale cinema, I think uh, this is a real gem. There's a little audio clip there if you want to play, 1922. 1922. man's pride was man's land. And so was his son. My wife. She wanted us to leave all this behind. We can move. Our cities are for fools. We divorce. We both know that's what you want. Life is rarely fair, especially out here. I believe that there's another man. Fantastic, isn't it? What a voice. Yeah, you'll enjoy that. Um, it, it could be Coen Brothers. It's got that kind of feel to it. Has uh, it, yeah. Yeah, I don't know both you and I like Coen Brothers. Yeah, stuff. for sure. Um, I would check that out. I, I would highly recommend that, 1922. It's, it's, it's excellent for the weekend uh, that's in it. Very good. Um, so one, you're on to one that we might be more familiar with. I maybe. think we're probably more familiar with this because yeah. it's a classic. Um, yeah. Well, it's it's a remake of the classic. In fact, there's been nine of these films made. Go on. Or not. Yeah, nine of them. Uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, I don't recommend this. I'm going to mention it because it's one of the well-known ones. Um, you know, I'd be interested. Why, why to don't you recommend it? Uh, I didn't think. I just didn't think it was very good. Uh, I was curious enough to watch uh, the movie based solely on liking the original, which mm. I did. The original classic was 1974. Mm. Uh, this one is from 2003. Um, so yeah, the original, which was the most famous one, I think this was probably the second in the franchise of mm. the most famous and then the rest of them are just nonsense as well. But this is, look, all of these stories have a villain. Uh, anybody familiar with the original will know Leatherface mm. was the villain and he returns to terrorise a group of young friends who accidentally disrupt his carefully shielded world in a remote Texas town. I, it, like, it all follows the same, it's the same, the same formula. It is, it, it yeah. is. It's the same one. There's a kind of like this stupid kind of innocence of the kids in it and... Uh, 
You know, yeah. oh my God, watch out! You know, he's <laughs> over there. You. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on there. I think it was. I think the film was just a mess. Now this is me. This is me. Um, I I don't know. The story's kind of stupid. It's sort of predictable and right. The acting isn't much better. But to watch it together with a few friends and some popcorn and a couple of oh, beers. Oh yeah, that's fine. That, the, it's that kind of a thing, isn't it? Ah, it is. Like, and it's, um, you know, you and I were speaking off air about kind of spoof. Now, this wouldn't be considered a spoof mm. Halloween movie, but there is some of those spoof ones, but this is so bad it could be a spoof one. Right. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I know what you did last summer and, uh, you know, what were the ones? Did you Scream. Uh, Scream, Scream movies. And, uh, Scream movies are kind of... Uh, yeah. Obviously, spoof, the Halloween thing. movies themselves. The Halloween movie. movies itself. They all have a villain, and I don't think he was a great villain. Now, maybe, maybe in the original, but then again, you see, when you go back to 1974... You know, it was different. Like people were easily, yeah, uh, easily scared. Yeah, you mean. Easily, yeah. well, easily scared. But I think movies. The further you go back, people were were entertained. Yeah, you but know. Now, now like, with video games and all see, of that this sort is of thing, it, like, yeah, yeah, you have to really go. You do go to the limit. You, you, you do, and where and where where does it end? You know what I mean? Um, do you want to play this piece? Yeah, yeah, go and play the piece. Yeah. All right, okay. okay. We have a vision for this place. All it needs is young blood. I don't want to live here. This is a chance for people to start fresh somewhere. Somewhere safe. Hey, guys. You did see this. What are you doing in our house? We really shouldn't be here. Oh my God! Watch oh out my God. behind you! Oh my God. Watch out! <laughs> oh, it's brilliant! Isn't it? You know that it's it's a lot of that old kind of uh, nonsense. Oh, Look, right. I said I I don't think it's worth your while, but maybe some people would text and say that they enjoyed. It. And listen, that's it. You know what I mean? We all have different tastes yeah. and things. Nineteen twenty-two, I would certainly recommend. I'm glad um, you're going to talk about this one. Though, now, this is my favorite. Well, right? I think even outside of horror, I don't, yeah. don't worry. I'm not going to mention the name yet. But outside of horror, this is one of the greatest movies. I think. Yeah, absolutely, you know? and it's certainly considered uh, yeah. when it. Uh, in 1991, before we tell you what it is, in 1991 it grossed 272.7 million. Is, that, is it that old? Oh, 1991? Oh, for God's sake, are you really? Um, they made oh, it for God. 19 million. Right. And uh, they made over 250 million. Oh. Silence of the Lambs, we're speaking about 1991, uh, the American psychological horror movie. Um, I, when I was looking at this and I was thinking, will we or will we not? Because, it, as you said, it's probably not exactly in the genre of horror as we know it, or right. maybe, maybe but, it is. But it? it's, it's horrific and it's, it's scary. It is scary. It, you know Do you know what I mean? Is, so yeah. I, I thought, look, it's certainly one of my favourites. If I was kind of reaching for that kind of a film, yeah. um, I'd go back to it. Um, I'm thinking I'm, I might try and find... Well, actually, finding it is another thing. It's not on Netflix, um, but you can you can download these things. A lot of people know it. They don't have to be on the streaming services. Like for about three quid or something, you can download the video um, from Amazon or Apple or one of these crowds, you know, so you can mm. still get your hands on it. Uh, and I was thinking too, and I was when I was going back over clips, I was wondering, like my lads are 15 and 16, but they're kind of older 15s and 16s. Not, nothing really phases them, you mm. know. So I was wondering, because it's a classic film, would they watch it uh, with me? So we, we might even uh, have a dip into this over the That'll weekend. That'll be interesting, wouldn't um, it? Jodie Foster is excellent. Oh, and of course, she's the incredible. young FBI trainee who's hunting a serial killer that was called Buffalo Bill, if people remember. And to catch him, she seeks the advice of the imprisoned Dr. Hannibal Lecter, who, of course, is played by Anthony Hopkins. Brilliant. And he was just amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, He's this brilliant psychiatrist and he's cannibalistic 
serial killer himself. So they caught him and they locked him up. And she's kind of in and out with him, in and out of the jail. And he is just... Okay, he's playing her, isn't he? He's, he's playing manipulating her. her uh, absolutely. He's just, he's so good in it. I really enjoyed this film. Actually, I'd forgotten how much I enjoyed it. It is funny, isn't it? It's from 1991. Would you think it was that old? I, I can't get over that. Jenny yeah. Mac, where, where does it So, as I said to you all, ago, it's cited by critics, and this kind of touches on what you said, film directors and audience. Everybody yeah. says it's one of the greatest, most influential films of all time. Um, and that's exactly what you were saying. It's just right up there, isn't it? With um, But it's un, unlike the previous effort. Yeah. It, this is clever. This is psychological. It is this clever. This is deep. It's, it's yeah. just... Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Will we play um, this piece? Yeah, go for it, Jack. Okay. That expires in one week. And aren't we enough to are you? I'm still in training at the Academy. Jack Crawford sent a trainee to me. Yes, I'm a student. I'm here to learn from you. Maybe you can decide for yourself whether or not I'm qualified enough to do that. That mm. is rather slippery of you, Agent Starling. Sit, please. You use Evian skin cream. And sometimes you wear lead at all. But not today. Well, perhaps you'd care to lend us your view on this questionnaire, sir. Oh, no, 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 no. You were doing fine. You had been courteous and receptive to courtesy. You had established trust with the embarrassing truth about Migs. And now this ham-handed segue into your questionnaire. It won't do. I'm only asking you to look at this, doctor. Either you will or you won't. Yeah. Jack Crawford must be very busy indeed if he is recruiting help from the student body. Busy hunting that new one, Buffalo Bill. What a naughty boy he is. Isn't the script very good too? Oh, I mean, he, like, his delivery is amazing. Oh, but stop. isn't the script excellent? It's superb. superb. It's absolutely Anthony superb. Anthony Hopkins and uh, Jodie Foster, isn't it? Jodie yeah, yeah, Jodie Foster, yeah. who was just, and she was so young in it, and she was superb at the time. Look, there was a, there was a sequel, Hannibal, uh, released in 2001, followed by the prequel films, Red Dragon, which I've never seen, and Hannibal Rising, I've never seen. But, like, I Very can't good. imagine there's anything uh, much like the... A couple of listeners on, uh, Andrew, about The Exorcist uh, oh, being yeah, of the most disturbing film. Yeah. Well, I, I'd put The Omen in there I've too. never seen The Omen oh you have to see The Omen never seen I don't think I have anyway um, I mean it is so scary <laughs> yeah so yeah. frightening yeah 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 yeah. but wonderful as uh, well Silence of the Lambs I think I'm going to check that out over the weekend and 1922 keep that in mind because that's an easy uh, and it's access on Netflix, that one. it's yeah. on Netflix so it's All easy right. it's easy to find that one alright happy Halloween Andrew happy if Halloween, that's man. the right thing to say look after yourself and thanks very much news is coming up Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on. On 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.
Thanks, Sheila. Welcome back to Tip Today. Oliver was on to us. He wants to wish uh, Louise Morgan Walsh, great friend of the show, in fact, well, because she's running in the Dublin City Marathon this weekend, and he wants to wish her all the very best, and indeed to everybody running in the marathon this weekend. We wish you the best. I was going to do it myself, but um, I decided against it, funnily enough. Uh, delighted to be joined in studio as our panel today. Phil Prendergast is with us, former MEP, a nurse, midwife, agony aunt, of course, here on Tip of M as well. Liam Brown is with us, community activist, and Senator Garrett Ahern of Feel Girl with us as well. Good morning, all, and thank you so much for for coming in uh, to us. It's been a busy week, that's for sure, and we hardly know where to begin. But let's begin with um, the Ukrainian ambassador to Ireland who said that the lack of accommodation for Ukrainian refugees coming into Ireland completely unacceptable. Larissa Garasco said the situation in Ireland with accommodation was very worrying, but also said it was hard to predict the actions of the Russian government and she went off and saying some other stuff as well. Liam, can I start with you uh, on that? Even sort of, you know, fairly, you know, easy people, people who wouldn't get all that excited, were annoyed by that, and I, I'm a bit concerned it was lost in translation in some way, but maybe not. What, what did you make of it? Um, I thought the comments were very ill-considered. Uh, I'm not one bit surprised that what you call very easy-going people were annoyed by it. Um, it did sounded ungrateful, and to be quite honest, it sounded insulting to an awful lot of people who've done an awful lot so far to help the amount of Ukrainian refugees who have come into the country. Now, you said that maybe it should have been lost in translation. I heard the Justice Minister, Helen McEntee, say the same thing mm-hmm. a couple of days ago on national radio. But the reality is is that an ambassador, first of all, is very considered in what they say. They're very diplomatic <coughs> people by their position. And secondly, she hasn't come out in the meantime and clarified her remarks. Mm-hmm. So I think what she's done in the meantime is she's actually said that the government should now consider telling Ukrainian refugees to stop coming to Ireland until there is more accommodation available for them. So I don't think the remarks were taken out of context. Mm. Um, I think we've got to go back to where we were six months ago and say that we said at the time there was no plan whatsoever for the likelihood of up to 200,000 Ukrainian refugees coming to Ireland. I was on this programme back in April, the end of April, and I said there's no plan and we're going to end up in a situation like this very quickly. The government at the time, I've read back since, said that they expect 67,800 to be here by now. There's now 60,000, but possibly up to 200,000 on the way. We don't have room for 200,000 people. We've run out of room already at 58,000 people, so the idea that we can Mm. scale that up another triple. And the notion that we have a legal and a moral obligation, I mean, even if it puts us out, even if it makes things difficult? That notion will probably be taken up by Gareth here in a few minutes. comes from the United Nations. Um, well, Michal Martin said this. Michal Martin said it, but I, as I, said, I, I expect we're going to hear it again in a couple mm. of minutes. Look, the reality is, is if we have a legal responsibility, we have to be able to back up that legal responsibility. There's no point someone telling you you have legal responsibility to take in whatever refugees arrive in Ireland. Because potentially 5 million could arrive, 10 million could arrive. You know, you can say that that's a potential problem, but it's not going to happen. It's not mm. going to happen because it can't. We don't have the room. Garrett, well, what about this? I mean, a lot of people were very annoyed by the ambassador's comments. What, what did you make of it? Yeah, like, I, I suspect for the hour myself, and Lee won't agree on much, but we probably slightly agree on this one. I'm, I'm slow to to be too critical of the ambassador because I know myself you can end up in a studio like this saying something that you didn't really mean and then it, com- it comes across wrong. Um, and... That's what she has said already is in that 
what she said she didn't really mean. She has but she has spoken mm. to the to Roger Corcoran, Minister for Children, who's kind of overseeing the, the amount of Ukrainians coming in. And she kind of apologised for, yes. for the comments she, she made. She made the observation that, you know, if you were inviting people in and suddenly there was no place for them to stay, that they should have known ahead of time. Wasn't that Yeah, so this is the issue I have with her. And I brought it up in the Shannon on Tuesday and I asked her to clarify her comments because her comments in relation to Ukrainians weren't aware of a housing problem, mm. they weren't true. And she, she knows that those comments that she made wasn't true. Uh, she had been warned. Uh, she had been told by the Minister for Foreign Affairs, Sam Coveney, about this issue. Ahead of time. Ahead of time. The four Ukrainian MPs who came to Ireland in June, who spoke in the Shannon, uh, they met seven ministers. They were aware of the two major challenges that we have as a country in terms of taking Ukrainian citizens in. One is housing and the second is childcare for Ukrainians who want to work. Um, they were well aware of that. That's why... They left Ireland, went to the UK, spoke to Michael Gove, who was minister at the time in, in June, to mm. keep changing every couple of months, and uh, tried to put pressure on the British government to open up their borders more to relieve the pressure that we're under. Ukraine and Ukrainian MPs are slow to put too much pressure on England because they've been so accommodating in terms of weapons. Yes. They haven't been as accommodating in terms of taking in Ukrainian citizens. Um, so... That, all that being said, right. I, I've a lot Has of she done for, a tremendous amount of damage? Because yes. if you look at the poll today in the Irish Times, for example, I was surprised to, to see that uh, while a majority of people believe that we should stand by Ukraine, um, a large percentage now at this point seem uh, that if we continue to accept refugees from Ukraine, no matter how many arrive, um, 56% of people saying that we need to cap this in some way now. Yeah, so so there's a couple of things in that. And and I saw I saw the poll and I, I heard comments uh, on Tip FM during the week and I, I really hope that that's not the view across the county and across the country. So we have a legal obligation, first of all, to take to take that, to take Ukrainian citizens in by law. That was decided at European level. So we're meant to take legally 2% of the amount of people who flee into Europe. Um, to and, put and, it, and will you just give us the figure on that? Currently, I think we're at about we're 1%. At, yeah, so we're 2% at about one, would be about 150,000 yeah, people. So, we're, so we're, at, we're at about 1% at the moment. So if we, if we took in uh, what we're meant to take in, we'd have double what we have already. Now, Ukrainians by nature pick and choose where they go an awful lot of them for lot, for obvious reasons would stay in countries that are Border closer, countries, closer yeah. to them so the likes of Lithuania Latvia Estonia Poland, Poland. Yeah. so if you put it into context like we, we've increased our population in the space of six months by a percent which is a massive increase mm. of any population to happen but if you look at somewhere like the Czech Republic, which is double mm. the size of us, just over 10 million people live there. They're 400,000 right. people who've come in. If you look at Poland, Warsaw... Okay, but we can, only look, Warsaw, we can only look at ourselves. Yeah, no, but, but I, I'll finish and I'll make, yeah. I'll, I'll make a point in this. Warsaw has increased its population by 25% in six months. We're, we, we're, we come tenth at the moment per capita in mm. terms of the amount of, amount of Ukrainian citizens who've come into the country. I think it would be strange if we were the country first to start talking about putting a cap on Ukrainian mm. citizens coming in when mm. we're tent. I you think mo most people would disagree with you on that. Yeah, but look, I think, I think I, th some people will disagree, right? But I think we pride ourselves on, on, on how we treat right. people coming into this country. We pride ourselves internationally on how we're, on how we're perceived. But we've nowhere to put them. I mean, how would we be perceived if we brought in people and they ended up living on our streets, for instance? Yeah, so uh, a lot of countries at the moment are having the exact same problems that we are having. Poland doesn't have the capabilities to take mm. in over 2 million people. Czech Republic don't have the capabilities to take in 400,000 people. Mm. Um, 
Look, I've met a, a, a lot of Ukrainians. I've been over there a couple of times in, in Kiev. Like, I know what they've come from. They're not looking for absolute perfection. They're looking for safety. They're looking for security. They're looking for somewhere where people will take care of them for a period of time so they can mm. go home. But it looks that that period of time is going to be longer yeah. now. Uh, Phil, what, what about your thoughts on this? Well, my thoughts are, first of all, I think people are doing their very best. Mm. Um, I've known many ambassadors down through the years through the various roles and where I served and all the rest of it. Yes. And I definitely would have expected that she would have been, had had more clarity in how she described the situation and made people get very annoyed when, when there's a genuine effort for people to do their best. But you add into the mix the time of the year, the cost of living increases, the petrol, Putin's war, the carry-on, the, the trauma that people that have come here are actually suffering because perhaps Ireland wouldn't have been their first choice. Like Garrett has said, they would want to go to somewhere that's seemingly closer yes. to home, but closer to all the mayhem that's going on. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a continuous worry that that's going to get worse. Nobody knows what this man is going to do next you know, so there's a, a huge amount of trauma. There is an accommodation crisis. There is a cost of living crisis. I can understand that people are worried and upset to be touted as the ones that might not continue to say yes. Mm. That is simply not the case. I think there's a conflation of a there's a multitude of disarranged ideas going on in relation to the Ukrainians, the accommodation crisis, the homeless people, the hotels having to now decant them out because of a, mm. a government issue that caused a, um, a lapse in, in whatever facility was being provided. So there's, there's, there's a whole lot of different strands, but we can't forget the core of a, a hurting people mm. here because they need to be able to be to be refugees. Right, but do you believe that there should be a point where we say we cannot do any more? I do believe that you have to say this is our capacity for now. Right. Um, and you know, you have and from to... your experience in Europe, I mean, are we? How? What about the obligation then, Phil? You know, see, there's an obligation, Fran, and there's an obligation when you have a multitude of things going on at the same time, because the, this war is now, of course, the panacea for everything. It's yes. Because the way the oil went up, and because coal went up, and mm. gas went up, and commodities went up. In fact, an awful lot of our ills are down to Brexit. Because that has been a massive mm. failure, mm. and it is really the elephant in the room, and um, that has that has caused immense problems for us. It's caused immense problems for people's jobs. It's caused immense problems at the borders. Mm. It's caused, I suppose, it certainly has contributed to the situation in Northern Ireland. Mm. So we're 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 losing sight because the war, the war, the war, the war, the war. Mm. But in fact, there's so many other factors there. And this fact that yeah. we've always had a homeless crisis, Fran. Yeah. And the fact that now um, people are are getting help for some of the, the costs that have have being put on them um, people think oh we're doing an awful lot there's an awful lot of people just not able to yeah, it's a, it's a, and what, what is frustrating the hell out of people Liam as well and I'm just, just referring to what we get in here on the programme is that a couple of years ago we were all talking about the vacant houses around the place oh nothing could be done about that and absolutely you know I mean you have to make do and you're, you're on the list and you'll be on the list for years and all of that and then all of a sudden 
we can, uh, you know, ignite people into, into action and demand that vacant houses are done and more modular housing is ready and that sort of thing. And, and are they right to be frustrated and say, well, why couldn't you have done that for us a few years ago? Absolutely fine. Just to go back to one thing before I go on to that, it said that Gareth you know, wouldn't like to see Ireland being the first country saying that we need to put a cap on numbers. The Dutch government put a cap on numbers in August because there was too many people arriving in Holland and they had no space for them. So other countries have put a cap on people until they get the resource in place. On your second thing there, absolutely. You know, it kind of, it kind of makes me wonder how we managed to house 58,000 people in six months. But the, in 11 years, the homeless figures in Ireland have gone from 3,000 to 11,000 and are going higher. And children are large. Absolutely. Uh, we're talking about building modular homes. I don't think any Ukrainian refugee should go into a modular home on, while there are Irish people in temporary accommodation. The temporary accommodation people, Irish people, should go into those homes and then you can put Ukrainian refugees into the temporary accommodation that they're vacating because this is supposed to be a temporary... Um, a temporary measure. Another thing. Which I, is, I don't see this, by the way, as temporary. I think a lot I mean, of this is long. This term. is why I was just about to get this point. Sorry, this is yes. not temporary. This is long term. I said this back in 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 March. Mm. The idea that this was going to be over by Christmas. It's like going back to World War One with this idiocy that something is going to finish in six months' time, and we were all going to have Ukrainian parties over the summer. We were going to take people in almost as if they were, uh, you know, seasonal students, mm. and then they'd all go home next year, yeah. and we'd all be happy again. The reality is, is the conflict has been going on in this part of Ukraine for the last eight years and is likely to go on for at least another eight to ten years in my opinion if not longer. Right. Now asking Get, people sorry Fran yeah, okay well, well, sorry just finish just, your just point and we'll, that, we'll move on. Asking people to take in somebody temporary mm. and one other thing the, the, the next thing is the amount of young males that are now beginning to arrive in when there's supposed to be a ban on the travel of males mm. uh, out of Ukraine that is also frustrating people because you know I think there's an, as much economic migration going on now as refugees right. fleeing war. Garrett, do you want to take se- several points being made? Yeah, there, yeah, you? I suppose there's several points. I, uh, like, I, I'm always slow to predict um, when things will will end, and because and, um, mm. um, you just never know with with these well, things. But if but, houses but have I been raised think... to the ground in the war, and people are over here, naturally enough, they have nothing to go back to in a lot. Of yeah. Ways. So look, I think I think what happened at the start of the war is people opened up their doors in Ireland, and people were incredibly generous to to want to support Ukrainian citizens and give them um, either a room or, or a house. Um, but it's it's transpired that that sort of accommodation will be needed for a much longer period than they might have anticipated. And there's a challenge in that because people who might have been generous at the start now realise that they mightn't have the capabilities to to look after people for as long as, as might be necessary. And, and I do agree, it's certainly it's certainly going to go on longer, longer than we think. Um, um, I don't know how I don't know how long you know the the, mm. the, the winter period is going to be is going to be extremely difficult, um, but you know the, like the role we play is 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 to to try and protect these people for mm. as long as we can for as much as we need. But it's not see, entirely like, like my you know decent people are coming to the opinion now that's fine. But why didn't you protect us? And that's that's what yeah. So like things get things get kind of put into the same category when, when they're not really. So, like, the point you'd make is we, we obviously have a, have a, a homeless crisis and, mm. and we've, we've challenges in terms of housing and we've over 10,000 people um, who are homeless. But, like, of all of the accommodation that the Ukrainian citizens have in, in Ireland, which one of those types of accommodations do you think the 10,000 people 
mm. or homeless have. Well, I spoke so to like, a man in a tent up in Nina uh, with, with his kids and his wife. And yeah. He would have liked to have been in a hotel. Yeah, so tent. like we yeah, we, we have hotels for almost all of the uh, people who are homeless at the moment. Almost all of those well, are in hotels it, at the it, moment. It we have there for we him. have we have twenty five yeah. um we have twenty five percent of the hotels in the whole country. Uh, used up for either homeless or for Ukrainians. Well, it's largely for Ukrainians, isn't it? Well, that's because there's more yeah. more Ukrainians yeah. who need accommodation than homeless people in Ireland, obviously. Um, so, like, it's not it's not the exact same. If but you know can what you mean. see like, there's, that there's, people are are frustrated by the fact that no, it, I can. It, but 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 sometimes sometimes I think uh, it's important to to just you know take a step back and see where where we've been over the last six months like everything that's happened like if you were told a year ago that this country is just going to take in 50,000 extra people and we're going to house almost all of them in some form of accommodation uh, to, to protect them you'd have thought that that was almost impossible because this housing crisis happened well before the UK, well, Ukrainians you, you would in. have thought it impossible because we couldn't house our own over a 10 year period you yeah know? but the, some of the housing that we're giving Ukrainians isn't acceptable to the housings that's been that's been offered for people who are on social, social housing lists so I, I, I'm not, I'm not entirely certain about that because that's still one of the big issues is that making the vacant premises ready and up to the standards yeah. is, is part of the problem that's well, holding things up. Well, the, amount of the, the, the vast majority of people who are homeless are actually in hotel accommodation. The, the amount of people, say, who'd be rough sleepers in, mm. uh, has reduced dramatically actually over the last number of years but just just in the comment in terms of men coming men ukrainian men coming into the country i think it's important to to just point out that it's not actually true that men aren't allowed to leave ukraine if you're a man and you have more three children or more you're entitled to leave the country um so yeah. that's why that's you know why that some, a certain of the, amount of some of the lads we're seeing are look to me to be 18 19 20, yeah but you know. yeah but they but they come in well if you're if you're if you're under 18 you're allowed to leave right. so like we have yeah. 17 year olds who'd come into this country just before they turn 18 right. uh, from ukraine to and, look for, and look for the protection fact but it, it's important to say when they come into the country the first place they go to is the city west to meet the Department of Justice, to meet the kind of crisis team, they go through an assessment. I've been out of it. It's so professional uh, done right. by, by, by So if they're of fighting age and they're discovered, uh, that's discovered that they're in City of West, are they sent back to Ukraine? If the, if the, Well, it, it depends. So every situation is different. They have to explain why they're here. They have to explain well, ha, how Has anybody left. ever been sent back to Ukraine? Oh, yeah, well, people have been sent back. There's, there's been there's assessments done when people arrive um, and judgments so are people, made. So people at, have been at, sent back? At that time. I'm like... You can't talk about individual cases, but there's assessments done when, when well, I, everyone I've never comes heard to, of anybody. When everyone that. comes to the City West Hotel... Uh, and it actually doesn't matter whether they're from Ukraine or any other country. That's where they come to be assessed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but specifically with Ukraine, has anybody been sent back? Um, I, like I don't know, but any any uh, male that comes in uh, or leaves the country has been allowed to leave the country for uh, circumstances. I, I, so there's professions. I, of, I don't think that's inter- entirely well, true. I know of a person myself right. who's a father of three who's come out of the country because his wife has to stay in the country because of the job she has. He comes out with his three children. He's allowed to leave the country. There's a lot of people right. in circumstances okay. who are allowed to leave but, the country. But you're saying protect, that an element of vetting kids. goes on. Is that, is that what you're saying? Because people's understanding is that there's oh, no when, when they come to the city west, there's, there's, there's a team there that's that's uh, that's headed up. Um, that's kind of run by the Department of Children with the Department of Justice. They go right. through all the kind of uh, procedures of explaining who they are, where they came from. 
a lot of them would need certain challenge, uh, would right. need certain supports. Um, but, but things is are it, put in place. Like, but people, is there ever a case where somebody said, well, okay, you, you shouldn't be here because President Valensky has said that you should be at home fighting? No, so like when they leave Ukraine, it's... It's at that it's at that point when they leave the border is if they'd be stopped by right. Ukraine. But, of course, there's, there's but there'd be assessments of done. There'd be okay. assessments Phil, done Phil, for people um, who from what you're listening from to, what, what what do you make of what do you make of it now? I'm just upset at the whole idea, Fran, that you know, that they, we're people that are fleeing a war coming to this country and expecting that they're going to have uh, a system that they can come into. Um and we're they're here now this many months and suddenly the hotel that they're all staying in is no longer mm. the, the lease has been extended. 400 of them this morning yeah, is it? Has uh, to, have yeah. to leave I mean how did the government allow that to happen? I, I, I really would like that question answered. Mm. How, how did this arise? 400 people and we're talking children, women, men sick people, elderly people that have various conditions and diseases, disorders and all the rest of it as well as the psych, the, the, tra- the trauma And the concerns that people have that Garrett was just talking there about about a lack of vetting that we don't know what we're getting in here. And this isn't coming from people who are racist, are you? But ordinary people with ordinary concerns, that's that's all. Does that trouble you um, at all? It's troubling insofar as that it depends what system is used. I mean, they're obviously going to see what, what, what... what can these people offer in terms of coming here, recovering from the trauma or whatever? Are they here? Are they able to work? Have they a profession? Are they a doctor? Are they a nurse? Are they a block layer? Have they a, a skill that they can, you know, right. contribute to the society and integrate and right, do but all I, that? I, I know of a doctor in a certain place, a doctor in, from Ukraine, he can't work here. He, he's not allowed to work. He's, he's cert, he cert doesn't qualify no. for, for Ireland. We're hoping to change that. But so yeah, he, even for him to work among Ukrainian people, he can't work. Here. He can't practice. Well, as well he can't practice as a, as a doctor. He can work, but he can't. Oh, practice that's what I mean. As well, he doctor, can't practice yeah. as a doctor. But we're, ho- yeah. Yeah, we're hoping yeah. to change that. All right. Right. Okay. The same as a dentist. Have dentists. Is, so isn't that ridiculous when you think of it? That our services are overcrowded. Here you have a doctor, extremely well qualified gentleman, terrific guy. I was chatting to. He he should be able to. I like it. Like the amazing thing is. Um, from all of the Ukrainians I've met, they all want to work, they all want to contribute, they're all incredibly grateful for being here. Um, and I know a lot of them who've, who've opened up businesses, who've opened up hairdressers, mm. um, and they're all looking looking to work. Um, but we do have some some complications in terms of some professions that their qualifications aren't recognised in the European Union. Oh, that okay. needs to change. You, you wanted to get in there several times, Liam, yeah. I did, yeah, because... like. Let's be honest about it. I mean, Garrett, Garrett couldn't ask, answer the question because th- the answer is simple. There's not a huge amount of vetting going on. R- realistically, we've pretty much... Garrett, let's be honest about it. We've pretty much said anybody who wants to leave Ukraine, who wants to come to Ireland, can come to Ireland. And they're leaving Ukraine, they're getting in their cars, they're driving across Europe, and they're ending up in Ireland. Now, one of the reasons some of them are ending up in Ireland, not them all, there are people coming from uh, areas of conflict, is there are people coming from areas where there's no conflict whatsoever in Ukraine at the moment. Because the vast majority of conflict in Ukraine is, is concentrated in about 15 to 20% of the country. Now, it's a bit like saying that while the troubles were going on in the north, people from Waterford would go... Uh, across to America and be looked after in America mm. and just walk in the door. There is not conflict everywhere else. Garrett, you're, you're, you're holding your head in your hands. People, so you're but, very but, frustrated by this, yeah. aren't you? But, but, it, I've, is it not the case? I'll put it to you this way. Is it not the, sorry, is it not the case, Garrett, that somebody from Ukraine tomorrow morning can decide that if they want to work in Ireland, they literally have to simply drive across to Ireland 
and they can start. They get a PPS number before they get started. They get accommodation. They get their food and board. They get a social welfare payment while they look for it. And they can work up to 20 hours a week without losing that social welfare payment. Right. No, that's all it, true. It, it's, well, sorry, what is the case then? That, no, I said that's all true. That's, all, that, that's yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah. That's all true. So, so, you, have a so con- sorry, you have a country where the average, average wage at the moment is about €7,500 per year. I've been brought to Ireland, given free food, free board, free accommodation, getting 14,000 a year in social welfare payments, allowed to work. Right. Now, okay. surely some of them you will accept. Right. Just, surely just some before I move on, do you, want, do you want to respond to that? Yeah, so, so that's all true. So essentially, simplistically, Ukrainian citizens are treated like EU citizens at the moment, even though they're not members of the EU. Um, almost all of the Ukrainian citizens who've come here are fleeing conflict like, I think I think a lot most mornings when I drive into the creche in the morning, my, my son goes to play and learn in the creche and drop him in, they do great work and, and, and fantastic. When I was in Kiev the last time, I went to see a, a, a creche that was blown to pieces with kids in there, all killed, and the staff who worked in there. Um, I've, I was in Bucha where I saw people... Um, and images of, of people who were tied up and murdered in front of their family. I've spoken to mothers who've fled with their kids, um, who were pregnant at the time while they were fleeing, with their husband murdered and their parents can't be found. Like, w- what they've come from is the worst imaginable thing you could possibly think of. Is it the case that one or two are coming over that mightn't have experienced the same atrocities as others? Probably. But like, of the 50,000 people who are here, I'm telling you, majority of them want to be at home. They want to be with their families at home. They don't want to be here. They need to be here because they need to stay alive. Um, this La- is about protecting La- people. Last word on the film before I uh, take our break. Sure, I'm just bleak, friend, because mm. there's no there's no clearer answers. Yeah. There's there's so it's there's such a multitude of of conflict Complexity information, and yeah. it's it's so yeah. complex. All I know is the people that are fleeing a war deserve to be able to have somewhere to live, and that is not to take from a separate I- issue, which is the homeless situation in Ireland, which hasn't been addressed. And I know that when I was chairing the strategic policy of housing committee and mm. the social policy on the council, that um, we used to meet with. The, the crisis and the, and the hope for about the homeless people every single month and it seemed like it was a long slow arduous process to get some to get people because of their complexities of their mm. needs and their ability to be able to function um and that we're, so we're looking at a, a war torn country which has caused the migration of people that can contribute to our society and those that can't coming into the country and with, with the the general increases in the cost of living it, it's there's so many things coming down the track for people that okay. people are just upset all right uh, let's take a break we'll be back with more from our panel in just a moment Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie 
Uh, welcome back to uh, Tip Today and indeed to our Friday panel. And uh, Garrett Hearn is with us, Senator Garrett Hearn. Uh, Liam Brown is with us and Phil Prendergast as well. Now, the polls have shown us that the vast majority of Irish people want an active policy of neutrality that allows us to raise our voice for peace in the world. And a lot of people are very, very concerned that maybe our neutrality is in some sort of danger. And I suppose this is brought to the fore again with the Russian ambassador claiming that if Ireland provides any help to Ukraine to clear landmines, it would result in the country being directly involved in the conflict. And for an awful lot of people, that's rather frightening indeed. Phil, do you want that, first of all, our neutrality at uh, the moment? I think there's a risk for certain. Um, I know that when the ambassador came out first, um, he he was very, very outraged. I suppose the the Russian ambassador was very outraged because he was questioned. There was some great questioning done on on national radio and other radios indeed. And um, he, he very much disliked the tone that the Irish people were taking. And I, I think that what's happened since I suppose there's an undertone and there's an undercurrent that here's that country over there and they're they're helping and they're 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 not helping our case and they're on their side and should their neutrality be affected it I just think it's a situation that's just it's one more thing that we need to worry about mm. um you don't know if if the guy presses the button on a nuclear bomb I mean, it could take, <laughs> I don't know where geographically it'll take out first, but it certainly, we won't avoid the mayhem that goes with that. And and what about the notion, of, I mean, from a constitution point of view, we're, we're, we're neutral, for example, but now we may be helping with a training mission for the Ukrainian uh, armed forces as well. Is is that necessary for us to do that, do you think? I mean, you see, that... again, I, I don't know whether it's necessary or not, Fran, because this is something that's evolving. Um, it's not something we had to deal with before. Mm. And I suppose it's it's a very safe space to be as, as we are constitutionally neutral. Mm. But there are situations where you have to give help to people. And like there's Russian people too that have done nothing to contribute to this war. But because they're Russian, mm. um, they're in trouble and they're seen as the bad guys. There are so many good Russian people as there are many bad Ukrainian right. people. Okay. And well, good I'd, and bad Irish A direct people, threat from the Russian ambassador. You can understand why people would be scared about Absolutely. that. Absolutely, and, and I yeah. would be scared at yeah. that because, of course, we don't, want to, um, we don't want to be bombed. We don't want to be isolated. And we're already isolated by the nature of our, our geography. Uh, Garrett, what about this? Because, you know, your colleague Simon Coveney really as Foreign Affairs Minister uh, to the forefront where this is concerned, I suppose, and going lo- along with that notion that we should provide training for the uh, Ukrainian forces. I- is that is that diluting our neutrality? Is that putting us in danger, I suppose, is the question? No, I don't think it is. But, but, but Phil is right. Like, what the Russians are trying to do is to scare the people mm. um, and they're, do, they're doing it in other countries as well it, it is working and uh, like it, of course it would work if if, if if you give a threat as though um, by helping um, demine um, some land from innocent people being, being, being murdered uh, if you're given a threat from the Russian government like obviously citizens are going to take that very seriously mm. and government take very seriously. It's kind of similar to the video that was done a couple of months ago where they give that image of, of being a nuclear bomb happening yes. just north of, north of Donegal um, and wiping out Ireland. Um, so, like, that's that's the way the Russian government works. Like, that's their tactic. It's it's put fear um, uh, mm. into into the citizens 
almost right. before they try and put fear into but government. Bigger, but I don't think that'll change. The bigger picture our of our view. neutrality that the the sixty one percent of us. Yeah. want to hang on to our neutrality. We believe it's very, very important yeah, to yeah. us. And here it is being sort of tossed around a little bit. To say yeah, that. so, like, certainly in this war, we're not we're not neutral in, t- in terms of politically neutral. We're, we're certainly aligning ourselves with Ukraine and supporting Ukraine, um, supporting them joining the European Union and supporting them in terms of getting Russia out well, of their country. We're, we're financing aspects of what's happening. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. And, Non-lethal you know, like, I, in, in my view, sometimes we should, we should do a little bit more, actually. Um, but that's just a, that's a personal view. A little bit more in terms of? Well, I think we, we, we do a lot in terms of equipment, safety equipment, um, a bit of training, a bit of demining. Um, I think we should do more in terms of vehicles. Like one of the challenges the Ukrainian army is having is when they're driving to the front line, um, they're having snipers shoot mm. at, at vehicles. Uh, if they have Irish or British uh, vehicles, well, then the passenger is and the drivers are on the opposite side. So if a shot comes, they actually shoot the passenger side rather mm. than the driver. So Gives you them extra we time. Need, we need to go further. Well, yeah. Look, that's that's a personal view. Like because it, it can be it can be army trucks that aren't used anymore. It can be vehicles that would have been used. Um, uh, it's not essentially giving weapons, but it's giving. Um, well, it's there, it, there, but it's giving. Yeah, it's, it's, it's giving on, it's on the, yeah, it's on, ca- it's on the borderline. Look, weapons, I, I'd be yeah. kind of of the view that we should, we we can, we can do a little bit more, but right. like that's a personal view. But I I, I understand. Do you think we need neutral- to rethink our neutrality, our position of neutrality? I don't think it's a bad thing having a conversation about it. Like we would we would receive a lot of pressure. From from European countries, um, especially Baltic countries, that cannot understand why we're not part of NATO or why we're neutral. And we try, I try to my best to explain the importance of it and how as an Irish nation we're proud of our neutrality. Um, but they do question then, you know, if anything ever happened to Ireland, who do you think is going to protect you? Mm. And obviously we feel it'll be America, it'll be the UK or it'll be the European Union. Um, and we almost rely on the fact that we're members of yeah. the European Union. If anything ever happened, NATO would protect yeah, but, us, but which ne- is probably ne- the neutrality, case. Neutrality, though, if you take neutrality, I mean, neutrality is, I mean, I, I would see our neutrality as an anti-war yeah. uh, position. And should we not, should Simon not be out saying, listen, as quickly as you can, get get talks happening, get 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 peace talks happening. Yeah, this, so this war is a little bit. This war is a lot different than any other war. No, most, all, all wars are the same. Not really. Okay, most most wars, it's not very black and white. Who's at fault? There's always kind of a grey area in the middle. This one is almost as black and white as you could possibly get in terms of who's at fault. You'd have some disagreement um, on that. Yeah. Okay, but like because a lot of people would see this as a proxy war. Of well, sorts. Yeah, but, but like no one can disagree that the war is happening in just one state. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no one has invaded Russia. Um, so I think in terms of politically, well, well, they we would see that NATO has gotten right up to their front door, I suppose. Yeah, but no one's invaded Russia. We can have a conversation okay. about it, but like we need yeah. to be like fairly upfront here. Like no, no one, no one's invaded Russia, and it's fairly right. obvious that okay. the war started because Putin wants to take over Ukraine and um, mm. essentially uh, kill off uh, a group or, or, mm. or a country. Um, you know, like Ukraine haven't haven't. Um, Murdered, murdered parents, and taking kids away, and taking their identity away, taking their passports away, and move them around into mm. into different areas in Russia. Um, like and, there's clear and all, genocide. All, all right-minded here. people would agree with you on that. But could I ask yeah. you? So the, the were, were you of the same mind in 2014? In terms of Crimea? Yeah. Yeah, but the funny thing, the difference between that is when negotiations happened or agreements happened, the view was in Europe, and me, I would have kind of had the same view. Is 
that's it. Job done. There's an agreement being made. Things are going to stop. What we've learned now is if you if you have talks with Russia and Putin in particular, obviously, um, he'll just come back again for more. Right. Like, like talks, certainly the view in Ukraine and all Baltic countries are do not talk to this man because right. it gives him a legitimacy in what he's doing right. and, and that he'll continue and, and, again. And I'll go to him in just one quick sec, but how can it possibly end, if you know what I mean? You know, like, are we talking about, you know, you get rid of Putin, okay, that's fine, and you think maybe that's the end. I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. I'm well, sure well someone, someone who takes over from Putin wouldn't hold the same authority as Putin does, naturally, because they wouldn't have been in the position for as long as he has. Right. Um, but I can't see Russia deciding to to go back home with their tail between no, their legs. But no, but, but kind of what happened um, uh, when Russia were in war in, Afghan- in Afghanistan and, and other places, um, they have lost an incredible amount of civilians and they're going to lose more with the deployment of of people who aren't even trained, like there's people now going out in the front line within so three days. So you say that will gone. affect the political stability. You will have mothers and parents at home, okay, uh, right. losing vast amounts of of, right. of children, and that will put pressure on them. Okay, Liam, what what about that? Uh, kind of conversation kind of jumped across from a discussion on Irish neutrality uh, uh, to where the war would end in Ukraine. So. I probably have to take those in two different answers. Mm. One, we should be discussing neutrality whether or not there's a conflict in Ukraine or not. We shouldn't be discussing Irish neutrality in the context of the Ukrainian war. We either want to be neutral or we don't want to be neutral. I think the vast majority of Irish people consistently have said they want a neutral country. Mm. If that's the case, the next question then is, what does a neutral country mean? A neutral country, do we mean we'll look after people who we kind of feel we should look after? or we'll stay out of it altogether. Because at the moment, we're not a neutral country. If you're providing resources, if you're providing training, if you're providing equipment to a country that's involved in a conflict, then you're not mm. a neutral country. That's just a simple but, fact. But where were we ever? We've been providing um, a facility to, to that, America in, in Shannon for, yeah. for donkeys. Th- that then is the next question. There are many other people who say we haven't been neutral for the last 30 years because we're providing the Shannon stopover for American planes coming and going to conflicts in the Middle East. So maybe we need to actually have that constitutional referendum where it can be teased out once and for all what con- what neutrality really means mm. in Ireland because I think it's like we always say we, we, we always find an Irish solution to an Irish problem we'll say we're neutral but we'll kind of turn our eyes away from Shannon mm. we'll say we're neutral but we'll send people off to train people who are going to be involved in the conflict mm. we'll say we're neutral but we'll send over vehicles which are going to be used by people either being shot at or the, the people being shot on the, on the left-hand side vehicles, they'll also be shooting back at people on the other side. As, as regards how you finish a war and where neutrality comes into that, there's only two ways of finishing a war. One is total annihilation, which is pretty much what happened in Germany after World War Two. Germany was annihilated and they had no choice but to finish the war. Or the second is talks. And this was, we're not, there's not going to be a total annihilation well, of Russia. Where is the conversation around that? Are you even that's, pushing for that? That's where I'm pushing for. There is not going to be a total annihilation of Russia. That's just not going to happen. Which means eventually this conflict will be ended by talks. Now, you mentioned 2014. I don't think an awful lot of listeners out here might understand what you meant when you said 2014. There was peace talks in U- between Ukraine and Russia in Minsk in 2014 in which there was an agreement between the two countries as to how they would deal with the four regions that are under conflict at the moment. This is, I'll go back to what I said maybe 15 minutes ago. There is not war across the whole of Ukraine. Vladimir Putin has never said he wanted to invade the whole of Ukraine. 
what he said. Sorry, Carrot, that's not that's simply well, the fact. Well, most people would see that he did invade the he sovereign in, country of, yes, of Ukraine. He, like. he invaded the sovereign country of Ukraine based on what he believed was a refusal of the Ukrainian government there there now to accept the Minsk agreement, which where, was agreed in 2014. Where in Ukraine fourteen. is there not war? There is not war in much parts of what Western parts? Ukraine. Sorry, there's about war. There is conflict at the moment, Gareth. Western in about, Ukraine. In Western Ukraine, I was in I was in Lviv. Yeah, on a train, and we stopped for we we couldn't move for five hours because uh, wh- missiles were hitting the city. When were you in Lviv? Uh, the first week in May. First week in May, and what has happened in Lviv since then? The first week in May, the first week in May, there was there was supply lines in Western Ukraine being cut off to stop weapons going into Eastern Ukraine to take part in the conflict. That's why there was that's why there was parts of Lviv were bombed at the time. But, but, but there is not no what I'm what I'm say, what I'm saying, Gareth, is simple. There was an agreement in 2014 in Minsk that the four the, it was actually two regions. It was uh, Donetsk, Luhansk, and that has now gone up to four regions. But getting up, getting away from that, we're, we're not going back into discussion how the Ukrainian right, war should end. We're talking about neutrality. Yes. What I'm saying is is there has to be peace talks. There will be peace talks at some point in right. the future. It's only a matter of how long this conflict goes on. But, but in the meantime, young people are dying absolutely. in huge numbers. Absolutely. They will. Look, that's what happens in all wars. Yes. You know, in all wars, the, the, the ordinary young soldier, but, the but ordinary if, civilian... If, and this is what I don't understand. If inevitably there will have to be peace talks... Exactly, they should happen now. happen now? They should happen now. The best way to stop people dying, to stop civilians dying, yes. is for the, the, the presidents, is for the leaders, is for Europe, is for NATO, yeah. to sit down and say, look, we need to talk about and, this. And Phil, as a mum, what really puts terror into the heart of, of, of women, particularly, I have to say, is that notion of their sons maybe heading off to a war in a place that they know nothing about and that they really don't have skin in the game in. And that, and that is what what the terror is. And, really, it is, and it, it's getting back the remains in in, in, in a body bag, yeah. In a body bag. And it's it's about knowing the life they would have had yes, and it's completely fractured and finished and done and they live in with the horror of that and that would be reflected in every war that we've ever had mm. um, where where children have gone out little more than boys gone right. off with guns and got blown up. So should we be pushing more for to say look, I mean, okay, we all agree that Putin should not have done this it was mm-hmm. a dreadful, it's dreadful lo- evil only, act see, but should we be doing something about saying we need peace talks? Well, what needs to happen is, I suppose, everything is termed around politics. We have the midterm elections now, this coming yes. month in, in the States. The States yeah. if, the, if the, depending on which lot get in, whether we keep with the, the, the Democrats or whether the, the Republicans get in, that's going to have an impact on talks, that's going to have an impact on the base, that's going to have an impact on what the, where the power struggle is. Um, Trump, which he's carry on, still insisting that he's legitimately the president and that this was all a big scam. Mm. That's that's all going down to the court system at the moment as well. There's a lot of lies. I mean, if you watch if you watch American politics, it's it's. You might think this is bad. It's so brutal. Yeah, yeah. It's so brutal. It it really really is. And and everything is tied up with power bases. And everything is tied up with money. And everything is tied up with munitions and who is supplying what and who is the ability to pay. And power is seen as the ultimate. And with Vladimir Putin, whether he's unwell or not, we just don't know. Mm. All we know is he is his finger on that button. All right, he yes, has the codes. Yeah. And did. 
did Donald Trump give him codes that he shouldn't have? And has he given him access to far more dangerous behaviours? We don't know, but you are right, and Liam and the lads are utterly right. It has to come down to peace talks. It has to come down to a medium where they can lay their, their, their stats out on the table and where mothers of children and fathers of children can look and say, I, I don't want to lose my absolutely, my, my absolutely. Yeah, you like, want it, to it, 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 like, it is tricky. Um, and uh, both and Phil and, and Liam are right. Almost all wars come, come come to a point where negotiations happen, and it's kind of interesting that it looks like Erdogan in Turkey might play a role in it because he has a close relationship with Putin. But there seems to be an element of trust between um, Zelensky now and Erd- Erdogan. Um, so and it's kind of one of those things where we'll only find out about it after it's all been agreed in some ways um, but politically for Zelensky there's huge problems for him to agree to anything or to sit down because the country have no want to talk or to agree but so is this it, will is show it his leadership true? Is it not true? Maybe you could help me with this Is it not true that he was willing to talk until so much money by way of weaponry was supplied to his army. What, was he not willing to talk at one point? Well, I don't know about him personally. I, I know from from the government in Ukraine, um, they I've never heard one MP opposition or in government who has even spoken half about willing to talk. None of them. Like They're incredibly um, um, uh, agreeable, all MPs in Ukraine about not wanting to talk, no interest right. in talking. But is that because they're so supported so much from the West in terms of the money that's been bumped into? Well, they would say, well, well it's it's interesting. Sometimes they would say they're not supported enough by the West in, in a lot of ways. They, they would feel as though some of the weapons haven't come over quick enough. If you look at the change in the war in the last two months, it's because new weapon weaponry has come in from America, from right. the UK. They would have been calling for that uh, a lot earlier um, but it's it's interesting because Zelensky will have a very big political decision to make in terms of how does he lead his country into a potential conversation about ending the war and you know right. talking about territory it's yeah. not an easy one for alright uh, final one on that uh, Liam well, like you just said there, you know, it's very easy to continue a conflict when you have unlimited amount of arms coming in from Europe and America. And those arms, they're not cheap, they're not free. Um, there are munitions companies in Europe who are quite happy to let this conflict go on for years and years and years because eventually they will get the money for that conflict. Um, ordinary people are going to die. That's the vast majority. The vast majority of people who die in every single war are not soldiers. They're civilians. They're people who are displaced. It is disgraceful to think that the European Union, um, the United States, the UN hasn't called in the two leaders and said, look, if we're going to have a conversation in one year's time or five years' time about peace, why not have it now before those people die? Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, you never call in the two leaders together anyway. So I think what's done is behind closed doors, they look for a mediator. That's why I was saying Erdogan seems the obvious obvious person to do that. Um, Mm. But I would suspect... It never talked about publicly, and Phil would know this from European level as well. Like a lot of these talks happen behind the scenes without any. Right. Um, but you take my point. While while that is being orchestrated, people are dying. People are dying. Yeah, yeah but the, like you know, the, like 
it's very difficult because like people mm. in Ukraine want want to fight, like the army want to fight, the people want to want to win the war. The people who live in those regions, the majority of them want to be and, Ukrainian. And do you think it's winnable? Do you think it's winnable? Yeah, I, I always have just because I think the resilience of the Ukrainian people are incredible. They're so similar to Irish people. It's unreal. They're mm. they're just so confident in their ability to beat a country that is way bigger than them. And they're actually proving yeah, but it. is there an element of romance to that in some way, you know? Well, like they're very emotionally attached to the whole situation at the moment. And they feel as though they have an obligation to the people that died to keep fighting. And that's a noble yeah. act. But at some point, as a leader, Zelensky has to weigh up what's the right thing to do. Right. Um, uh, just a very final word. Uh, we're living in unbelievable times, aren't we? Oh, they're, they're, it's, it's very volatile. Um, we just don't know. All, all we do know is, like Putin started this, um, the Ukrainians have responded as best they can. They have lost so many of their they're wonderful yeah. people and um, they've lost parents they've lost people through people that were in hospital at the wrong time yeah. and the hospital Children. was bombed maternity wards yeah. Uh, yeah. we we saw the emotive pictures of of all of those i and you know really i'm not putting a context of importance on this but even to see people trying to get their animals from Ukraine mm. to this country, safe, and, uh, and that's not to demean yeah, yeah. the huge losses people have just had. Ordinary people, on, yeah. yeah. Just uh, all right. Thank you very much. Great panel today. Thank you so much indeed, Senator Carda Hearn with us, Liam Brown and Phil Prendergast. Thank you all. Uh, that's it for me. Ellie produced. Uh, Stephen is on the way, and I will talk to you on Tuesday next. Enjoy your bank holiday, but do be safe and look after yourselves, Bobby. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.